only the imposters can use the vents. There's little vents in certain rooms that you can use to almost fast travel or instantaneously travel to another part of the ship. And if somebody sees you do that, they'll go in the chat and say, he vented. Red vented. I saw him venting. (laughs) And it always makes me think of that scene in that book where the guy farts. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast just went off the rails. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, Gregost81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter and Discord. It is time once again for our year-end extravaganza. Playthrough superstar Mr. Stubbs joins us to celebrate the amazing year that was 2020. Okay, okay, I mean, it was an amazing year for our playthroughs and podcasts, and we appreciate you always being there to play the games with us and listen to what we have to say about them. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFGPlaycast, and Rich is at the single banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Amen. Mm-hmm.
Rich on a new computer. How's it going? Oh, man, it's great. I've entered the late 90s, I think. Oh, would you get a 386? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's such a difference having this over my uh, last laptop, which probably, jeez, uh, man, maybe 10 or 11 years old. That thing was uh, sturdy. I think I paid like 200 bucks for it. It was an Asus. Yeah, for a cheap laptop, it did really well. It kept uh, our show going for a long time. <laughs> so RIP laptop. I'm going to miss all the awesome stickers on it. I'm going to have to buy some good ones for this one. Yeah. Stickers are funny. I have a pile of them and it's like, what do you stick them on? But yeah, I have a few on my laptop and uh, I have a guitar where the case is just plastered with stickers and I'm mm. conflicted because some of those stickers have been there since I was like 13, 14 years old and I don't want to cover them up. So I'm yeah. reserved about just continuing to sticker that guitar case. Yeah, it's funny how we are about stickers, isn't it? I had a yeah. uh, big slee stack outline. Those like lizard people from Land of the Lost. Remember those? Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, and uh, I also had an Elvira and Dolly Parton yin yang symbol, where they were like coming out of the yin yang. Of course, Dolly being the white part and Elvira being the black part. It's pretty cool. So I'm gonna have to reorder some stuff off Etsy now, man. Speaking of slee stacks. I remember when you and I were hanging out here in Austin and I saw your Slee Stack decal on your laptop right. and I said, what is that thing? Because I've seen it. It's Mr. Stubbs' avatar. <laughs> That's true. So it just so happens that we can bond over the land of the lost, even though I've never seen it and I didn't know what the Slee Stack was because we have Mr. Stubbs here on the show with us. So Mr. Stubbs, please say hello and introduce yourself. Hey, how's it going? My name is Mr. Stubbs on the forums, but I also go by Stuart. But yeah, that profile picture has been my profile picture like on every forum I've been a part of since like ever. So You big Land of the Lost fan as a kid? Um, the remake with Will Ferrell. <laughs> okay. I don't think I ever actually saw the original one. Or maybe I have. It's, it's been a while since I've even seen the remake too, but yeah. That's cool. Now, there was an urban legend that Bill Lambeer, the basketball player that played for the Detroit Pistons, was actually a slee stack at one point. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, hopefully we can get some of our listeners to weigh in on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was like an unintentional bridge there. That was a good transition, if I do I say so. I wasn't even thinking about that being his avatar on the side, so that's awesome. Well, welcome to the show, Stuart. We're happy to have you. This is, of course, our year-end episode where we discuss our December game, but not only that, we talk about our top five games that we played during the playthrough in the year of our God 2020, but maybe that would be in the year of Satan 2020, according to some people. <laughs> have you ever seen that uh, promo? It was for a dating app. But uh, yes, uh, the woman is 2020 and she dates Satan. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah. So uh, what have you guys been into lately? Any movie shows you've been watching or anything? I haven't really watched too many movies lately, but I actually watched, I believe it's called The History of Swears on Netflix. Oh, yeah. My wife was watching that with my daughter. And I'm like, you cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> the first episode is the F word. And of course, Nicolas Cage is hosting this thing. Which is odd. Yeah. It, it's just odd. I mean, it's perfect. Like, it fits Nick Cage perfectly, but it is just odd. 
<laughs> so are you enjoying it? Are you up to shit now or what? No, I've actually finished him. I went through the whole six episode uh, season on that. But it was actually really, really good. And it's funny because you wouldn't think that learning about the word would be so informative. <laughs> and how they're literally just people who research, like, you know, profanity, swear words. It's insane. But it was, yeah, it was really, really good. That's awesome. We're going to have to pick that back up. Because like I said, she started it, but I was doing other stuff at the time and couldn't pay attention. So, yeah, I, I'd love to check that out. My wife and I are actually watching the show now based on a Stephen King novel on HBO. It's called The Outsider. We're only like maybe three episodes in, but man, it is uh, pretty intense. Jason Bateman's in it, and he's actually directing it. As you may know, he uh, directed Ozark, uh, which uh, was a big hit, and I assume is still going on. I really couldn't make it through like the second season of that, but uh, it's a little too depressing for me. But uh, yeah. other people seem to enjoy it. Funny thing is, actually, uh, they did a lot of that filming 10 minutes away from where I lived. At one oh, really? Okay. Yep. Not to give anything away, but you must live near Steven, Disposed Hero. Because he lives out in that area. Relatively close, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, very cool. You guys will have to uh, do some game hunting at some time. Or, uh, I'm out there a lot because I have family out there. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to get together. Hit the hot spots. <laughs> but, yeah, other than that, at my house, we've been continuing our pandemic action flick watching. The kids and I have now watched Cliffhanger, which was awesome. But the big news is... The two oldest kids and I finally watched RoboCop, <laughs> and that was a bonding experience. And as my son said, Dad, that's the best movie I've ever seen. And I said, clearly, we don't need to go on Maury and get a paternity test because you are my son. <laughs> yeah. Such a great, great film. It is a good movie. Did you see, I don't know if you responded to my tweet that I put out. Uh, it was probably about a year ago. I thought it was a really good tweet, but it didn't really have the legs that I thought it would. I said, which is worse? And I showed a screen grab of the guy from RoboCop who gets thrown out of the building with the extra long arms versus Nancy's mother in Nightmare on Elm Street being pulled through the tiny little window in the door. And I said, <laughs> which is worse? Because they're both really bad practical effects that they don't ruin the movies that they're in, but they're like the one like imperfection I see in both of their respective films. Yeah, they're pretty bad. It's almost one of those things that's so bad, it's awesome. That was just what was available at the time, you know, for them to be able to do, which I could even say now some of the CG probably doesn't even look as good. It looks just as bad in its own way. But uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I didn't see you post that. Yeah, it was a while back. Um, I saw a really cool movie with Rick Springfield in it, though. How about you? Did you? <laughs> Did you actually watch it already? Oh, man. Can we get into this? <laughs> sure. Let's do it, <laughs> All right. man. So, Rich, your neighbor, is a avid listener of this show, an avid contributor to the corrections segment every month. And I, I want to say what I have to say with the utmost respect and love for him. And I won't even say his name, just in case he doesn't want it mentioned. But thank you for your support and listening to the show and contributing to the show. He had mentioned when we did soundtracks that were predominantly done by one artist that we had a major omission with a movie called Hard to Hold starring Rick Springfield. And uh, as a goof, he sent you and I DVD copies of this film. But here's the rub. 
he's a lawyer and he's sent at least to me he sent it federal express express so he overnighted this to me and i didn't know his name so i just saw the return address was a law firm so of course i was shitting a brick like i i was like what is this yeah never open anything from fedex that has a law firm's name on it. dude i was like i got my way i was like what do you know what this is what is this so I opened it, and then to make matters worse, his packing material was eight and a half by eleven printer paper. So it looked like <laughs> a stack of papers. <laughs> but uh, as I explored the uh, the parcel, I discovered that there was a DVD copy of Hard to Hold in there with a very very funny note written from the perspective of Rick Springfield, which. <laughs> Cracked me what? up. It wasn't actually from Rick Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't like a paragraph. It was like the full eight and a half by 11 page written by Rick Springfield, admonishing us basically for snubbing him on our list, which was so great. But uh, yeah, I have to give a shout out to my neighbor. Not only did he do that for us, which was awesome, but he saved our ass this month. As we previously mentioned, my laptop crashed and went down. Sean, you're always good about sending me your files on Google Drive. And I've always said, hey, I need to make sure that I'm uploading my files to Google Drive so that if something goes wrong, they'll still be there. Mm -hmm. Well, guess who last month did not do that? <laughs> so I was, I would say, about a quarter of the way through editing the Bioshock 2 episode and this thing crashed and I could not get it to come back on. Well, my neighbor, he has a computer background and he actually went on Amazon, got a cord and pulled all of this information off of my old hard drive onto an external hard drive that I had lying around. It was able to save most of my files and actually all the files that I needed and wanted anyway. So a big shout out to my neighbor, Chris, and I've said his name on the show before, so it's okay. Okay. But uh, yeah, man, thank you. You really saved our ass on that episode because I know Sean and I probably just would not have the heart to record that episode again. And it wouldn't have been the same doing it a second time because we have tried to do that before in the past. Yeah. But I also want to give him two more shout outs. I want to wish him a happy 50th birthday. He just celebrated a few weeks ago. Awesome. Happy birthday, man. And then also I wanted to point out that he and his son, who is actually a member at RF Generation, he's participated in the Secret Santas for the last three years, but I've got him to put all of his collection on there and also to participate now in the forums. But the two of them have purchased all three of those games and will be joining us in our playthrough in February. So we'll see some of their comments on the forums, and uh, that'll be really cool to have them join in along with us. Absolutely. Now, I do, I do want to talk briefly about this movie. Stuart, have you ever seen the movie Hard to Hold, uh, <laughs> starring Rick Springfield? I unfortunately have never seen it. Yeah. So, Rich, I hope you watch this movie and suffer through it like my wife and I did. There are movies that are bad, and then there are movies that are boring and they're bad because they're boring and this kind of falls in between like i'm trying to give it a real 
<laughs> I don't know, a real criticism and not just trash it because I could see what they were going for. It's about Rick Springfield plays this rock star who falls in love with this uh, counselor of troubled children and she has a little bit of a troubled past of her own. The whole thing is this will they or won't they romantic comedy. But the problem is it tries to be like a screwball comedy at times, but then it also tries to be very dramatic at times. It really could have been an okay movie. What I think it would have been better as is like an episode of a, some kind of TV show that was like 45 minutes long rather than an hour and a half long movie because it just felt like it kind of dragged on and on. But I just want Chris to know that my wife and I watched it from start to finish. Again, appreciate the gift, you know, as, even if I didn't like the movie. It's a funny story that I'll never forget. Absolutely. I haven't watched it yet with my wife, but I plan on checking it out for sure. Speaking of irony, you know, uh, Stewart's actually Rick Springfield. That's just a, a false name he's given. So <laughs> it's just a way for Rick to uh, sneak on our show. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of assholes like my neighbor, let's yep. get into mistakes our asshole friends pointed out this past month. Now, Sean, the first thing that I have on my list is the song Rats by Pearl Jam. You were asking me, do you remember the song? Do you like this song? Because I'd mentioned on the last show, I didn't care for any songs about rats. Just was not a big fan. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's okay. It's not the best song on Versus. I would say it's probably near the bottom of the list, but it's all right. Not a bad song. Cool. Good follow-up. I'm going to stand by my stance of not liking songs about rats, though. That's not going to change my opinion. And I know the concert cast today is going to be about our favorite songs about rats. So, uh, Stuart, you're ready for that, right? I sure am. All right, great. Awesome. But the other mistake I wanted to point out, I was talking about my uh, favorite rat album, and I said Down in the Cellar, and the name of the album is Out of the Cellar. I don't think our show has been out long enough now for Crabmaster 2000 to hear the show because he would definitely point that out. Yeah, those are all the corrections that I had. Sean, did you have any? I just want to throw in, I listened to the show as we're recording. It came out pretty recently, so I listened to it yesterday. And it might be just your accent, Rich, but when we were talking about the audio diaries in Bioshock 2, it sounded like you said auto diaries a bunch of times. And I was like, I don't know if that's just Rich's southern accent or if he's just mispronouncing it. But I think it's my accent. If anybody yeah. else caught that, like I was like, is he saying auto diaries? <laughs> it just, I don't know. But that was the only thing I caught. Well, cool. I mean, I guess I could justify it. They do automatically play when you hit the X button. Well, so they're not automatic. automatic. All right, we're scrapping that. <laughs> <laughs> that will be edited out. That was stupid. <laughs>
So with no more corrections, how about we go ahead and jump into the concert cast because this is going to be quite a lengthy episode. Sean, do you want to start us off? Yeah, thanks for uh, keeping it moving along here because, yeah, we got a lot to get to. So concert cast this month was partly inspired by some of the albums we talked about in our compilation episode because... I brought up a couple different tribute albums. So did you, Rich. You had the Carpenters tribute album on your list. Mm-hmm. I had the Pixies tribute album. So it got me thinking and you thinking, what are cover songs that are better than the original? I will throw out there that cover songs that are better than the original versions are not as rare as you think. I actually had trouble like just yeah. narrowing it down to five. I will just go over a little bit about my criteria here. I tried to take songs where I loved the original song and loved the cover, and the cover was just better. There is a kind of a subgenre as well of, and you can Google this or search on YouTube, songs that you didn't know were covers. So I'll give an example. I don't want to spoil anybody's list, but Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the Cindy Lauper version is actually a cover version. Tainted Love by Soft Cell is a cover song. Like there's a lot of songs out there that are like kind of automatically better than the originals because they're just covers of old standards or the original is completely unknown. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be on anybody's list. It just didn't really make mine because it felt like it was too easy. You know what I mean? I wanted to take like really good songs and then like see who like up the ante on these really good songs. So that's my criteria. And I guess I'll get started with my number five pick here. So I went with, (laughs) this is kind of a, a novelty song, but it's a really, really good cover version. And it's Easy by Faith No More. The original version was done by the Commodores, and this is... Oh, wow. You might know it. I'm easy like a Sunday morning, and the Faith No More version is so good. It's so brightly recorded, and Mike Patton, of course, anything he performs on, sings on, plays on, screams on, is uh, worth listening to, but he just croons like a beautiful version of this song. They didn't do anything goofy with it, but they, I still think they kind of took it to a new level from the original. So definitely recommend to check that out. Yeah, I have not heard that, but I love that song by the Commodores. As you know, I've been in a big Commodores and R&D kick this year. So yeah, definitely will have to check that out. Well, how about uh, let's let our guest go next. Stuart, what do you have for your number five pick? For my number five, it's actually a uh, cover of a country song by the Dixie Chicks, Goodbye Earl. And it is by the greatest punk rock super group cover band of all time and that's their self-given title but it's the me first and the gimme gimme yeah okay wow (laughs) (laughs) i know the country song but i have not heard the punk song that's awesome oh it's great it it actually comes from an album uh, called love their country and it is just full of classic awesome country songs like there's garth brooks covers there's uh Johnny cash covers and even some like original like hank williams covers on there too and it is just awesome Very cool, man. That's an awesome pick. Well, speaking of country music and Johnny Cash, my number five pick is actually a cover done by Johnny Cash on, I believe it was the third American Recordings album. Now, Johnny Cash, late in his career, did these albums with Rick Rubin, the uh, famous rap mogul. 
and um, he actually covered Nine Inch Nails Hurt. There's just something about that Johnny Cash version, just knowing that his wife had passed and that he was nearing the end of his life, that it was just so much more impactful to me than the uh, Nine Inch Nails song, which I believe was off Pretty Hate Machine, right? Uh, No, Downward Spiral. Okay. I like that cover a lot, but I don't think it surpasses the original. I think that song is hard to frame it in the context of Johnny Cat. I know he struggled with substance abuse for his whole life, but it's like, I like the Nine Inch Nail. I don't want to get too deep into it. I just, uh, I don't think that one surpasses the original. Totally respect your pick though. I'm not like arguing with you. Right. For me, it's just, you know, knowing a lot about Cash's life and what he was going through. And it's not the substance abuse, really, that I kind of focus on with his life. Johnny was kind of winding down at the end of his career. The lyrics, my empire of dirt, you know, just shows that you can't take anything with you. It all becomes dirt. And I love that Nine Inch Nails song as well. But for me, with Cash singing it, it just has a bit more meaning. That's why it was my number five pick. But cool. All right, Sean, what's your number four? So my number four is something I mentioned on the show two episodes ago when we did that compilation episode. And I I don't like repeating myself when we do these concert cast lists, but I couldn't leave this off the list. So it's Valoria, the Pixie song covered by Weezer. I just think it's so good. I talked about it a lot two episodes ago. So I'll just say if you haven't checked it out, just check it out. It's, again, a really, really good Pixie song, but they put the Weezer twist on it. They play it in like this slower, kind of less peppy version of it, which usually doesn't bode well for my personal taste as far as covers go. But I just think it's a a slightly better version of an already incredible song. So that's my number four. Awesome. All right, Stuart, what do you have for number four? For my number four pick, it's a cover of a, uh, a Grateful Dead song. I feel like this is this cover kind of goes under the radar just because it was originally released on like a compilation album and not like, you know, an, an whole, you know, a studio release. But it's uh, the Counting Crows version of Friend of the Devil. Okay, yeah. I'm very familiar with the Grateful Dead song, but I haven't heard Counting Crows version. It's honestly really good. I mean, the original song is already a slow song, but somehow... Adam Duritz means to make it somehow slower, but it's just really great. And that's something that's always on my playlist. And when I come home or driving home from work, like it's something I'll belt out to driving down the highway. Awesome, man. Great pick. All right. For uh, my number four, this is a song that I have talked about before on the show as being a, a song that's been covered that I actually enjoy more than the original. Uh, the original song, Satisfaction, was written and performed by the Rolling Stones but was also performed later by Otis Redding. Well, in the 80s, it was picked up by Devo. (laughs) And I just feel like Devo's version of Satisfaction is just perfect. There's something about the lyrics and how it just works better with Devo's like anti-commercialism and quirkiness that just doesn't really work for Otis Redding and the Rolling Stones. And so for me, I think Devo's Satisfaction is a real banger and definitely worth a listen. Awesome. All right, I'll go with my number three. So this was hard to pick a particular cover because this band has actually a covers album and they've done tons of covers. And that band is Deftones. They have a covers album. And on that album, amongst many other great covers, is a version of Simple Man by Leonard Skinnerd. Oh, wow. And I love this cover. 
So I'm going against my criteria a little bit. I don't love Leonard Skinner in general, but I do think this is an incredible song, original version and cover. Mm-hmm. But I just like the cover. I like Deftones style of music. I like the really drony guitars. I like the vocal delivery. It's laid back, but still impassioned. And I just think this is a great version of this song. So yeah, Simple Man, the Deftones version. I'll tell you guys, we're coming up with some incredible picks of songs that I really love, but I didn't really know there were covers out there of them. So yeah, I'm writing all these down as we go. Awesome. All right, Stuart, what you got for number three, man? Uh, For number three, it is a David Bowie cover, and it comes from an album that's a live album that um, had actually many great covers on it. Covers for bands like The Meat Puppets and Lead Belly. (laughs) But for my number three, I chose Nirvana's cover of Man Who Sold the World. Awesome. That was on my honorable mention list, actually. (laughs) Okay. And it's funny, too, because that's one of those songs that for the longest time I didn't realize was a cover song of an old Mm -hmm. Bowie song. Because, I mean, when I first heard it, or, you know, and when I heard it all the time, it's just like, to me, it seemed like it was a Nirvana song. You know what I mean? The lyrics fit kind of in that realm of what could be an original Nirvana song. So, yeah, that surprised me when I found that out years ago. Yeah, I think that Unplugged album might be my favorite Nirvana album ever. And I know it's not a studio album, and, you know, I probably shouldn't count it. But if I'm going to listen to Nirvana, that's the one I'm going to throw on. I think the covers on that album are incredible. I, I do like the Meat Puppets, Lake of Fire, maybe yeah. a little bit better, but that Lead Belly cover is awesome, and it sounds like blasphemy to say that there's a cover of a David Bowie song that is better than a David Bowie song. I know. But it's just the truth. It is. It's much better. Sean, I'm curious, man. You're a huge Nirvana fan, so yeah. how do you feel about these covers? I actually agree. I think Nirvana did a lot of great covers throughout their career. They brought the Vaselines into the, you know, like consciousness by covering their songs. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think they made a lot of really good choices. It was funny. um, One of my wife's favorite Nirvana songs is Love Buzz off their first album, Bleach. And I told her, oh, yeah, that song's a cover. I'm sure it's better than the original. And we actually listened to the original song. First time in my life I ever heard the original song. I said, let's see if it's on Spotify. And uh, we listened to it. It was pretty groovy, but we were like, yeah, the Nirvana cover is definitely better than the original. So there's a honorable mention from me and my wife. But, yeah, I think Nirvana, they selected some really good covers throughout their tragically short career, for sure. Absolutely. All right. My number three, it's a band that I spoke about on the last show, and that is the Eels. They did a cover of Daniel Johnson's song, Living Life. There is actually a compilation, and I wish I would have written the name down. It's actually a tribute album to Daniel Johnson, and this was before he actually passed away. And there's a lot of bands that both of you would be very familiar with, but the cover of Living Life by the Eels is not only one of my favorite covers of all time, but it's one of my top five songs of all time. Just such a beautiful song. We know what the psychological state was of Daniel Johnson. And just for someone in that mental state to put out such beautiful lyrics that are just captivating and so life-affirming is amazing. But the Eels cover of that song is simply fantastic. And uh, you guys should definitely check it out. All right, Sean, I think we're down to your number two, right? 
Yep, that is correct. So my number two is, I have talked about this before, how uh, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the Beatles, and especially that I hate John Lennon, but I love Paul McCartney. Um, So is that you really feel? (laughs) But this is actually one John Lennon song that I actually like. It's Across the Universe, and the cover version is the Fiona Apple version. This came out in the 90s. It was uh, on the soundtrack for that movie Pleasantville, I believe it was called. Yep. So I actually remember this song coming out when I was in high school. But even listening to it today, it is still an amazing cover version. Fiona Apple's voice is the perfect vessel for this song because it has this just like flowing quality to it. It's like laying down in a warm babbling brook as you just let her voice just kind of take you away it's perfect for the song itself the tone of the song the lyrics and just an amazing performance i love this song and i love this version of this song i think it's you know even better than the original so yeah across the universe fiona apple version very cool all right Stuart, what you got for number two for my number two pick it's a uh it's a cover of a Bob Dylan song. I really love Bob Dylan as just like as a songwriter in general. Um, he's someone I listened to a lot like growing up just because my father would always play some type of Bob Dylan, you know, on the weekends. But um, And this also kind of falls in that category where I didn't realize it was a cover at first until like researching it later. But uh, it's Jimi Hendrix Experience and All Along the Watchtower. Yeah, as soon as you said Bob Dylan cover, I knew exactly what song you were going to bring up. This was actually a song that was brought up by my wife. I'm a little bit more of a fan of the Bob Dylan version, but I agree. Jimi Hendrix does a fantastic job with that song. Rich, number two. Um, As we all know, Prince was a very prolific songwriter, and a lot of the songs that he recorded, he actually gave to other people too. He recorded one song with a band that he was a part of known as The Family, And this song was very popularized because the Pope hates it a lot. (laughs) And that was Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. Nice. I simply love that song. You know, when you listen to it, you definitely can tell it's a Prince song. But there's just something that she does with that song. And once again, blasphemous to pick a song by Prince that is better than his version, just like David Bowie. But man, she nails that song. There's just so much emotion and so much heartfeltness behind that song. So it definitely made my number two pick. Awesome choice. Like many people, I think that song falls into the category of songs you didn't know was a cover. At least I didn't for a long time. And uh, the Prince version, which I've heard in recent years, is actually also very, very good. So it's not just Mm -hmm. a a case of, oh, she knocked it out of the park. He also did. So both versions are very good. But I agree. Sinead's version edges it out. All right. We're down to our number one. Uh, My number one, again, totally fits my criteria. I love, love, love the original version of this song, but the cover blows it out of the water. The original song is Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. The cover is done by a band called Screaming Females, who are from my old stomping grounds in northern New Jersey. Screaming Females are led by singer-guitarist Marissa Paternoster, and she 
on top of being a virtuoso guitarist, sings with this operatic baritone voice. And what they bring to this song is mind-blowing, and it just gives me chills every time I listen to it. And I think that Shake It Off is just a goofy, happy pop song, and that's part of the reason I love it. They don't abandon the poppiness of it, but they put this twist on it of intensity that just... Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and it actually, uh, it was a live recording done for, I forget if it was NPR or The Onion or something. They did a whole series of covers. Uh, so you can find it on YouTube. And thankfully, it is also on Spotify. So you can access it pretty easily. And I would love for people to, in general, check out Screaming Females because they're one of the best bands to ever come out of New Jersey. And I just love them in general. So that's my number one. That's cool, man. I wonder if it's the YouTube show that I've listened to before, and I can't think of the name of it, but they take a list of a bunch of popular songs, and they take like indie bands, and they let them pick which song they want to do, and they cross it off the list until it gets to the end. Yeah, it was that. It was that. Yeah. I know Gwar is always on that show, and they do some hellacious covers yeah. that are really worth checking out. So uh, we'll have to do a little research and maybe uh, put that into our corrections next month. All right, Stuart, what do you have for your number one pick? For my number one pick, and honestly, when I was making my list, this just automatically shot up to number one for me. But um, it's a cover of uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, and it is the Jeff Buckley version from his album. Yes, nice. Absolutely, yeah. The original, obviously, is just amazing. It's so soulful, you know, it's almost spoken word through much of the song until you get to the chorus where it's like, a church choir, so to speak, going into it. But then you have Jeff Buckley who covers it, and it's just like his almost like melancholy and wailing sounds bad, but like his like almost wailing his vocals. It's just, it's so somber and just, it's an amazing cover, in my opinion, <laughs> my number one pick. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. And that entire album, uh, Graceland, is that correct? Uh, Grace, just Grace. Grace, yeah, um, is incredible. Nice pick, man. All right, so for my number one pick, I got to say at the beginning of this segment, I was about to reach through the damn microphone and choke the hell out of Sean uh -uh. because I thought he was going to crush my number one pick. And that is a song originally done by a gentleman named Robert Hazard and then recorded by Cindy Lauper. <laughs> but my pick is by a band called Starfucker. And it's girls just want to have fun. Oh, interesting. Okay. And if you have not heard this version of that song, you got to throw it on. It's definitely going on this episode. I'm definitely going to put it in here. It's so much fun. And to hear a guy actually covering it just kind of throws you for a loop because I've never heard the Robert Hazard version before. And up until you spoke, Sean, I didn't know that Cindy Lauper was not the original vocalist of this song. So, uh, yeah, that's really cool and ironic in so many ways that you pointed to that song at the beginning of our show, man. We're definitely getting on the same wavelength. Being together almost seven years has apparently done that. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, but I love the Cindy Lauper version. I think it's an incredible song. Also, maybe in two years when we play Bioshock Infinite, there's a really, really cool version of that song in that game. So oh. um, we will revisit it hopefully someday. I have a bunch of honorable mentions uh, that I just wanted to run through real quick. So 
there's a really good version of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song on the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo soundtrack that's done by Karen O. Trent Reznor and uh, the other guy, Atticus Ross, I think is his name. Pretty cool. The Bird and the Bee have a version of I Can't Go For That, the Hall and Oates song. It's really good. <laughs> awesome. Of course, we gotta have faith and shout out Limp Biscuit for their amazing cover of George Michael's Faith. Smashing Pumpkins have a really good cover of Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Breeders covered the only other John Lennon song I like, which is called Happiness is a Warm Gun, originally from the White Album. The Breeders have a really cool cover of that. I got a couple from my wife. Uh, She says Marilyn Manson's cover of Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode is one of her favorites. She also really likes the placebo version of Running Up That Hill, which I think is a very good cover, but I told her the Kate Bush version, the original version yeah. of that song is one of the best songs ever recorded. Like nobody's ever going to touch is. that yeah. as a cover, but it's it's a cool version of the song. And lastly, I got one for you, Rich. I feel like I've mentioned this on the show before, but I want you to check it out if you can. The group is called Chicks on Speed, and they did a really great version of Give Me Back My Man by the B-52s. And this was a song that is on the Chicks on Speed album called Chicks on Speed Will Save Us All. And for many, many years, I didn't realize it was a B-52s song. It was actually recently when we were talking about, uh, I think when we were doing albums of 1989, and uh, the B-52s album was on there. So I was listening to that, going down a little bit of a B-52s rabbit hole, and I realized, oh... Give Me Back My Man, that funny, weird song with the weird lyrics is actually a B-52 song. So I need you to check that one out. All right, you guys got any honorable mentions, Stuart? Any that didn't quite make your list or anything else you want to throw in? One that didn't make my list, but it's an honorable mention, is Green Day's cover of Tired of Waiting, and that's originally a kink song, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah Tired of choice. Waiting, Tired of Waiting for You. Yeah. Great. Rich, any honorables? Yeah, I got a few. One that I mentioned on the last show is uh, Shonen Knives, Top of the World by The Carpenters. Yeah. So much better than the original. Wonderful cover. And I actually looked up the name of the YouTube channel. It is called The AV Club. That's right. Thank you. Yes, that is the YouTube channel where they have people picking from the list. And Guar actually does a cover of Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> And they also do Kansas's Wayward Son, which is pretty good, too. But the Billy Ocean cover is fantastic. You have to check that out. And then finally, my wife actually had a pick. And this is a really good one, too. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, which um, you don't think of as being a cover, but that was actually originally a Dolly Parton song. I love some Whitney, man. I'm not ashamed to admit it. No, no, me neither. I hate to keep this going, but you just made me think of three different things as you were talking. Number one, <laughs> have you heard David Byrne's version of I Want to Dance with Somebody? Oh, no, I really haven't. Really good. I think it's only live. I don't know if he ever did a studio recording of it. It's on Spotify. Very, very good. I want to shout out that Shonen Knife has a Ramones cover album. It's called Osaka Ramones, and it's <laughs> so good that... I would say nine times out of 10, I would rather just listen to that than listen to the Ramones. It's so good. And then lastly, I, man, if I had remembered this, it might've been on my list proper. <laughs> I know I've got one popping in yeah. my head right now too. <laughs> I'm going to get out. So 
there's an artist named Alex Leahy from Australia. She did a cover of My Chemical Romance's The Black Parade for a show that's kind of like the AV Club show, but it's like the Australian version of it. I found it on YouTube like a couple of years ago. It is such a good cover of a very, very good song. So I got to shout out Alex Leahy's cover of The Black Parade. All right, I'm done. <laughs> All right, one more. <laughs> uh, I definitely have to shout out a live album by the Eels. I can't think of what it's called. I think it might be like Carnegie Music Hall or something like that. But they do a cover of the song Poor Side of Town, which is fantastic. I've always been a big fan of that song. But uh, yeah, fantastic cover there. Great segment, guys. Man, there's some really banging picks in that. Should we roll into pickup, Sean? Hell yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, how about we let our guests go first this time? Stuart, do you have any pickups that you've gotten maybe in the last month or so? Um, besides the three titles we're playing for the February playthrough, I picked up a few things from Living the Wrong Games. And it's funny, I actually ordered these in 2020, like at the beginning of the year, but they finally got to me. Like, end of December, early January. Yeah, they're slow rolling, man. <laughs> I mean, I understand. I understand. Yeah. It. But um, I picked up, uh, for the PS4, I picked up a copy of Indigo Prophecy. And it's one of those uh, Quantic Dream games. And I just really, really love their games. And it's one of the, one of the only ones that I haven't played yet. So I am very excited to get through that. Well, after you play it, listen to our show on it. We did it several years ago. All right. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not know that. Um, and then I also picked up two Switch games, also from Living to Run. I picked up the classic edition of Panzer Dragoon, which basically means it just comes in that giant um, jewel case. Sega CD case? Yes, yeah, the Sega CD, PS1, whatever you want to call it, jewel case. And then I also picked up, and this one was kind of a funny one. I bought it as kind of a joke, but I actually ended up playing it and really enjoying it. But it's Cthulhu <laughs> Saves Christmas. 
Oh, okay. And it's this uh, simple RPG, obvious with Christmas elements, but um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and definitely worth a playthrough. I believe it's on like Steam, relatively cheap, and I think there's also a prequel called Cthulhu Saves the World. But uh, yeah, oh, that's, okay. that's all my pick, just a few things. Hmm, Sean, we've always been looking for Christmas games to play. Yeah, huh? that could be a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. It's not very long, though. It's only about three to five hours, depending on how fast you can read. Oh, you're preaching to the choir yeah. then, buddy. <laughs> Especially for December, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, Sean, what have you picked up this month? So I actually have very interesting pickups this month. I will take this opportunity to plug my latest article on the front page of rfgeneration.com. If you go on there, scroll down or look up my blog, Gregos81. I have a Goodwill outlet store about a block away from where I work. And I've worked where I work for about five years and I've never gone to the place. People have told me about it and what goes on inside. And I got to admit, I was a little intimidated by it. But finally, I decided I want to just go in there and see what's going on. So a Goodwill outlet store is not like a normal Goodwill store or depending on where you are, like a Savers or Value Village or any other kind of normal quote unquote thrift store. The Goodwill outlet store is just rows of waist high bins that are about the size of a car, let's say, just these flat bins that are filled with shit and garbage. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) We have one here too, man. I've been it before. It is intimidating, like you said. But I've become a pro of going in there. And I, again, my article is kind of about the details of this, but I've started a little micro business of picking stuff up there to flip on eBay to make money and uh, have a little bit of an extra side income. So I don't find too many video game things, unfortunately. It's most commonly that I'm scanning books and DVDs and sometimes CDs. The books are great because they're five for a dollar. So any book that you can get for 20 cents that you can sell for $10 or more, that's what I'm looking for. However, I have found some good video game stuff there. I found a copy of Super Paper Mario on the Wii and a copy of Pure on the Xbox 360, which is like a four-wheeling ATV racing game. I sold both of these. (laughs) You know, I bought them to flip them, but they were good flips. I also found a super slim PlayStation 3, which I was very surprised because, like I said, I don't see a lot of video game stuff in these bins. I see remnants of them. Sometimes I see, like, really grungy Wiimotes, and I think, oh, where's the Wii? And I'll dig really vigorously to try and find the Wii that goes with these Wii modes, and I never do. So when I found a super slim PS3, I was really stoked. No way to test it until I got home, but I was very happy when I hooked it up and it was 100% fully functional. So I sold that for a hundred bucks and it probably cost me like, I don't know, three to five dollars. Anything that's not books, they charge by the pound. So it's a buck fifty a pound. I don't know what a PS3, I don't remember what it weighed, but I know that particular shopping trip cost me about $11 total, and I had a ton of CDs and DVDs in the bag with the PS3, so I was able to flip that for 100 bucks. 
Rich, would you believe, now I'm getting away from the Goodwill bin store. I could talk about it all day and maybe in the future I'll talk about it more. Or just go read my article. It is really a bizarre and awesome experience to go to this place. But I acquired for the first time in I can't tell you how many years an NES game. And I think I'm going to keep it. What? (laughs) (laughs) So I went to another local thrift store, an independent thrift store that's very close to my house. And they had a copy of Pinball Quest for the NES. It was priced at $4.99, and I kind of overestimated how much I could flip it for. It actually only goes for about 10 bucks. I mistakenly thought, oh, there's a lot of buzz around this game. I bet you I could flip it. And I did look it up, and I just decided to buy it anyway. So rather than cleaning it and trying to sell it, I actually put it on the shelf. So that was pretty cool. I added an NES game to my collection for the first time in many years. I'll probably sell it eventually, but <laughs> but it was neat to, <laughs> to pick up a classic game. And then lastly, did I talk about the box that you sent me on our last episode? I don't think I did. I don't think so. I can't really remember. Probably not. It's the December episode, so maybe that's uh, what you were saving it for, clearly. Absolutely, yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just got to say thanks to my podcast co-host. Uh, you sent me this really cool box filled with a Blu-ray copy of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World because I told you on the air it's the only Edgar Wright film that I like, and you noticed I didn't have it, so that was a really thoughtful gift. There was a Godzilla... Kamada-kun capsule toy, which was really cool. It was a little statue of the first mutation of Godzilla from Shin Godzilla, which I'm really into. Shin Godzilla is maybe my favorite movie of all time, so that is on my mantle. What's on my other mantle, because I have a two-sided fireplace, is the Chun-Li pixel art statue, (laughs) which for me was probably the highlight of the whole thing. Really? Oh, cool. You know what's weird? I have this weird thing where I feel like I put a weird prestige on pixel art and like the perler bead things. And like, I just love them. And I think they are such a great and elegant art form. And Chun-Li is one of my favorite video game characters of all time. So you really nailed it right on the head with that inclusion. And uh, she's proudly displayed on my mantle. So Awesome, man. Yeah. So I think I'm forgetting maybe one or two things, but that was a really nice box of loot that you sent my way. So thank you very much. Oh, man, you're absolutely welcome. And um, going into my pickups, I'll mention first, I appreciate you sent me a uh, gift card for the Switch store, which was awesome. You told me to pick up some stuff for my kids and I, which um, I selfishly picked up something just for myself with it. (laughs) (laughs) I picked up a digital download of Night in the Woods, which is a game that I've heard uh, a nice buzz about. There's not a physical edition of that yet, to my knowledge. You know, it's kind of a, I want to say like a cartoony game where you play as an anamorphic cat. Apparently, it's like the game Hellblade as far as, uh, you know, it explores these different areas of the psyche and, uh, you know, things like depression and stuff like that. So definitely not for my kids, but um, I really can't wait to play it. I really enjoy psychological games like that. So thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that gift. Cool. And then uh, my other pickups for the month. 
I grabbed a yellow pocket Game Boy to add to my continually growing Game Boy collection. Uh, on the Switch, I grabbed Slain, Back from Hell, Transistor, Ministry of Broadcast, which was a game I got for Christmas, and also Immortals Phoenix Rising, which is a game that I've heard a great buzz about and uh, something that I'm very interested in playing soon. For the PS1, I've actually gotten to the point where I am no longer actively searching for PS1 games. My collection has been tightened up to the exact point to where I want it. Now, I'm not saying I won't pick up a game here and there that looks interesting, but I'm running out of space on my PS1 shelves, and you know I can't really think of any other games that I would like at this point. So this past month, I've picked up Herx Adventures, Swagman, City of Lost Children, a game called Trag, Eternal Eyes, which you may hear a little bit about later on. I picked up Hogs of War, Sheep Raider, Roll Away, and Power Slave. A lot of these I was actually able to pick up locally. One of my stores had a giant trade-in around Christmas time, and so it was really nice to support a local store and get some deals that were way better than what I could have gotten them for on eBay. For the Super Nintendo, I picked up Artie Lightfoot and Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel. Those are both really cool platformers, and I am also nearing the end of my Super Nintendo collecting as well. It's funny, I'm, I've sort of gotten into this phase where I've just been tacking some of my wish lists that are smaller for certain systems to just kind of complete them up to that point. It's nice to do that, but when I go in game stores now, I'm often coming out empty-handed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's okay. Locally, I found an NES game that I actually didn't have. As you know, I've got a complete set of uh, North American NES games except for stadium events. And I was able to pick up Wally Bear and the No Gang, which is an unlicensed game for the NES. Got that at a great price and happy to add that to the collection. It's probably been a few years now since I've picked up an NES game, so that was wonderful. Went to a local flea market with my neighbor and his son and grabbed a copy of Turok Evolution for the Game Boy Advance. Is this a game that either of you have played before? I can't say I ever played Turok on the Game Boy Advance, no. I remember playing one on the Game Boy Color a long time ago, but I can't say for the uh, Advance. Okay. Well, this game actually came out on the PlayStation 2 and also the Xbox under the same name, Turok Evolution. Well, the Xbox and PS2 versions are... I guess you would say first-person shooters, but, you know, just sort of first-person action games. But the Game Boy Advance version is actually a run-and-gun shooter, and it is fantastic. I've actually been looking for this game for several years. It's one that I'm like, I'm never going to buy this on eBay. I'm just going to go around and see if I can find it for cheap. Because most of the time, if it's not a Mario title or something, you can find a Game Boy Advance game for just a few bucks. And in this case, I was able to do that. Of course, the seller was selling a lot of games, but didn't really know what he had in this game. So I was able to grab it for a few bucks and very happy to add that to my collection. And I've got the Game Boy Advance player on my GameCube, which, Sean, you sold me. So uh, it's going to be pretty cool playing this run and gun on the big screen. Nice. And also this month, I finished up my Vectrex collection. I have all of the North American releases for the Vectrex, the game that I was Missing was Mindstorm 3D, so I picked that up, cartridge only. It didn't come in a box, so there's no box for it, because it came with the 3D glasses that were sold as an accessory to the Vectrex. 
So the only thing that I'm missing now is the color wheel, which goes inside of the headset. And so if anybody can find that color wheel for me, please, please get in touch with me through RF Generation or through Twitter. So that's all for games. But I do want to mention one more pickup, something that my wife got me for Christmas. It is not game related, but I think with the concert cast and in the spirit of the show and the fact that it is in front of the entryway to my game room, that this counts for an official pickup. My wife bought me a purple doormat with a silhouette of prints on it that says, (laughs) if you didn't come to party, don't bother knocking on my door. And it is on the outside of the door to my game room. It, It is fantastic. I love it. So yeah, that's it for my pickups. Let's move into games played. Sean typically has a big list of games played. Now, you know, I don't know how much it's stacked up over the holidays, but how about we start out with you, Stuart? What have you been playing? Well, for months of the month of December, I actually, like, played nothing. I get in these weird funks uh, throughout the year. Well, I just, I won't even touch, like, any game at all. But um, starting in January, I kind of hit the ground running, and I've actually been able to play through, like, five games already this year. Nice. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about that. But, um... Let's see. I just finished Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, like the remake on the Switch. Cool. How was that? It's a lot of fun. I really, really, really like it. The artwork on it is just so beautiful. And like the the soundtrack to that game is just amazing. It's not just like any kind of ever other, you know, remake of a game rehash or, you know, HD upgrade. But you can tell they took time into it and put time into it just to make it just something that's really just awesome. Did you play the original Game Boy version? I have memories playing it. Um, I don't think I actually ever owned it. I believe it was like a friend of mine's, and I remember playing it on. I want to say it was either Game Boy Color. Or I played it on the original Brick. I can't remember. Probably the Game Boy Color though. Yeah, they made a DX upgraded version of that game. I think that's the one I played was the DX. Yeah. Um, let's see. I also played through most of my pickups that I talked about. I beat Panzer Dragoon all of in about an hour. But that was the first time I ever actually playing that game. It was actually a lot of fun. And then I also mentioned earlier, I beat Cthulhu Saves Christmas, and that was a lot of fun. I played through Animal Crossing again for the second or third time, I think. And that's only because I had to buy a new Switch Lite because my old one broke. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I'm on my third. (laughs) Yeah, my Switch broke too. I didn't even talk about it. Yeah, mine, I don't know what happened to it, but like the battery just stopped charging. And it would just drain instantly. Was it a light that broke or the original model? It was a light. Okay, switch light. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, Sean, I told you. Well, I mean, I have the original <laughs> model and mine broke, so it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. My original model's going great, but yeah, my fiance commandeered that, so I've been reduced to a switch light. Oh, uh, cool. And the last uh, game I played through was um, Yonder and the Cloud Catcher Chronicles, yeah. I believe. Oh, called. cool. I don't mean to cut you off. I was actually playing this game, and I played it for a long time into this game, but I got to a point where I felt like the quests weren't chaining together well enough. And I found myself, I mean, the game is called Yonder, and I felt like all I did was wander and try and find stuff to do. But you finished it? What was your experience like? Or did you have the same experience as me? Very similar experience. It's actually, if you just stick to the story missions, it is a very, very fast game. Oh, okay. I probably beat in about three hours just because I really didn't care for the side missions. It was more the same, just like the standard story missions. 
lack of a better term, but really they were just kind of like fetch quests, obviously. You mm-hmm. had to go find some resource and bring it in, and then either they make something for you or you join a guild. But I like the story of it. I thought it was good. But what really bothered me was um, in the later quest for the storyline, they introduced like waiting into the quest. Hmm. And if you've played it, Sean, you had to wait like two to three different days to get a a necessary item to move on in the story. Mm. And it's not that bad because the day and night cycle is pretty quick. But with one mission, you wait like three nights and it's about 20, 25 minutes. You just have to sit there and kind of wait. You could go off and do other things, but like getting to that specific area in the map was a pain. Yeah. So I was like, well, I don't want to leave and try to get back here again later. But it was okay. I mean, I probably won't ever really play it again. But it was, I mean, it was worth the one playthrough, I guess. Cool. That's interesting. My kids actually got that game for Christmas, based on a recommendation by Sean, as something that they would probably enjoy. I could see that. It's kind of like a. I almost want to call it like a Minecraft light. Oh, um, perfect! It's not as involved, <laughs> uh, and there's no combat, so like, there's really no repercussions for doing anything wrong in particular. Awesome, very cool. Well, I'll go ahead and get into my games played, and for me, that would just be Battle Cats. That's it. Man. <laughs> That's all I play. Uh, I think with the fiasco with the laptop and the worrying of being able to pull stuff off of that hard drive and losing the show, I kind of freaked out for a bit and vegged out on a lot of shows with my wife and just have not picked up the sticks recently. As I mentioned, I have two switches now. I've got a switch light and a regular switch. But of course, my two boys have commandeered both of those, so um, I really don't get to play anything on those, but I'm building up quite the collection, and uh, can't wait till they get a little bit tired of playing those, <laughs> and I can jump on. <laughs> All right, Sean, what have you played this month? Awesome. Well, I got a little bit of a long list, so I'll go as quickly as I can. I finished the dlc to the first costume quest game it's called grubbins on ice i mentioned it in a previous episode i played through that and now i'm very excited to eventually play costume quest 2 i have it queued up on my wii u and i will play that as soon as the like memories of the first game and dlc kind of wear off a little so i don't overdo it i actually based on your recommendation picked up costume quest as well for the pc and it has the DLC along with it. So I don't pick up many PC games, but with your recommendation from what I've heard about it, I definitely want to knock that one out pretty soon. Awesome. Yeah, it's really, really good. Next, I played with my wife a game called A Way Out, which every time I say that, I think of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song, Way Out. I can't not think of that. Uh, But anyway, it's a really good co-op split screen game. The, The whole game is co-op you can play it online but my wife and i have been searching for couch co-op games it's about two guys trying to escape jail together and i'll just leave it at that and i'll also shout out steven wrote a really good review of this game like two years ago i actually pulled it up to reread after i beat the game with my wife i would recommend it highly what i like about the game is it comes in bite-sized chunks like it's definitely designed to be played online co-op and Mm -hmm. You can just kind of jump in and the levels aren't very long. So you can have like little half hour to an hour sessions with it if you want. And that was perfect for me and my wife because we typically will play video games on the weekends when our dinner is in the oven, which is usually for about 45 (laughs) minutes. And it's perfect. Yeah. So that's our little ritual. 
Next, I played Kirby 64. It was a game that I thought I never finished. Like, I know I've played Kirby 64, but I misremembered never finishing it because I certainly have finished it. And when I got to the end boss, I was like, oh, yeah, this pain in the ass thing. Now I remember. (laughs) So that's a good Kirby game. Uh, Some of the weapons are, well, all Kirby games are like this, but some of the abilities, I call them weapons, but I meant abilities, are so grossly overpowered that you can really just run through some of the levels. And then on the other hand, some of the levels are needlessly frustrating. So it's not the best Kirby game, but it's not bad by any means. I liked it a lot. Next, I played Ace Combat Zero. You all know I love the Ace Combat games. I've played most of them at this point. Zero was one of the ones I haven't played. It's a very, very, very good game, but it commits the ultimate sin that a lot of these Ace Combat games do, which is that there are no checkpoints within the missions, even though a lot of the missions are really long and they're like segmented by cutscenes where there would be perfect places to put checkpoints. I don't need a save point where I need to save my game and turn it off, but like if I get through this hour-long mission through three long cutscenes and then I die, you're going to make me go to the beginning of it? Oh, man, that's so frustrating. So this game does that. However, I made my way through it and I beat it. So I love Ace Combat. I love all of them. The only one I haven't completed at this point, there's a few. Ace Combat 6, which I didn't really like. Ace Combat uh, 7, which is the newest one. I played the VR missions on that, but not the main game. And then that European, I forget what it's called, but it's the one that nobody likes that everybody says is like the Call of Duty of Ace Combat games. I haven't played that one yet, but I will. Anyway, let's move on to a PlayStation 3 game I played called Bleach Soul Resurrection, which is based on an anime called Bleach, which I've never seen. Why would I play this game? I have no idea. It's very <laughs> it's very particular to the anime too. Like there's like a million characters. I don't know what the hell's going on. I skipped all the story cutscenes because I don't know what the hell's going on. I had just heard that it was an okay hack and slash game that was really short. So I was like, okay, maybe I could just knock this out real quick. And it actually reminded me mostly of those hyperdimension hack and slash games on the Vita that I like a lot. It's like these bite-sized little levels that you run through hacking, slashing, you upgrade your characters, but there's like 30 different characters and you use them throughout the story. And it really reminded me of one of them. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless you're like a huge fan of this anime bleach. It would probably be pretty cool to you. So that brings me to three last games that I'm currently playing. One is called Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology. This is a 3DS remake of a Nintendo DS game. I'm in the weirdest situation with this game where when I turn it on and I'm playing it, I'm enjoying it. There's nothing I don't like about it. It's a very interesting story. It's a good traditional RPG with some interesting mechanics in the battle system. I like the graphics. I like everything about it is great. But when I turn it off and I put that 3DS down, the next day I have no desire to pick it back up. And as a result, I find myself not playing it a lot. I'll pick it up like two times a week and just not really play it. So I'm like, am I actually enjoying this game? Do I want to finish it? To be honest, I really don't know, and I don't know if I'm going to stick with it, but every time I turn it on, I enjoy playing it. It's the weirdest thing. 
So I would recommend the game if you like JRPGs. It's really good, but it's just not like sticking to me in some strange way. Yesterday I started Sly Cooper 2 Band of Thieves. I had played the first game a few years ago via the Sly Cooper trilogy on PS3, and I decided I wanted to play something on the PS3, so I just threw that disc back in and started part two. And it's pretty good. It's a character platformer. It's a good game. Most people know it. So my last game is something I really want to shout out. I want to shout it from the rooftops, how good this game is, how fun it is. And the fact that it has a 57 Metacritic critic review score just breaks my damn heart because it's so much fun. It's a game called The First Templar. Rich, I know this is not in your wheelhouse, but Stuart, have you ever played the first Templar? Um, I have not. Okay. So this game, as far as I know, is available on PC and Xbox 360. It is kind of like Dragon Age, if Dragon Age was really janky and also linear, but also split screen co-op. So you play as a Templar and a woman who is coming along with him to find the Holy Grail. The game is segmented into, again, missions that are about 45 minutes to an hour long, which is just perfect. And you just run around in split screen and do stuff. And it is very linear. But as you go through the levels, all this interesting stuff to do pops up. I'll give you an example. There's a mission that my wife and I did over the past couple of days where you're trying to defend a city that's under siege. So you have to run through the city and fight the invaders. Then you have to go on a trebuchet and you can see the view from the trebuchet and the invaders coming from really far away. And you have to do this unique mechanic where you're shooting at them and it's awesome. And then there's this thing where you're at like a forward base for their invasion and you're doing stealth. So you have to grab these torches and light them up on brazers and then, you know, find all the enemy supplies and light them on fire. Like there's these just interesting things always popping up in the game and it's just so much fun. And every time I play it with my wife, I say, this game is so damn good. How could people like dunk on it so bad that it has a 57 on Metacritic? Ah, like there's no justice in this world. The first Templar is an awesome, awesome game. (laughs) So... <laughs> yeah, so that's the last thing I'm playing. Still currently playing it with my wife, and uh, I, I just love it. And I'm sure you could pick it up for like two dollars on the, you know, if you want the Xbox 360 version. I'm just guessing, you know, because everybody hates it so much. But yeah, definitely grab it. So is this your month's hit? Not shit? absolutely. That it fits the bill of this is an absolute hit, an absolute hidden gem. This this is what I call a hidden gem where nobody knows about it and the people who do know about it didn't like it but it is just so good just so much fun unbelievable couch co-op
So I have the question of the month ready as we get into our game of the month discussion. I did have one quick news item that I wanted to mention very quickly, and that is that in our podcast feed, the interview that I did with Adam Bickman 2K from the site for the people of RF generation is now in our feed as a sidecast. So it's sidecast number four, interview with a ghost. And I got to say, I'm, I'm very grateful. It has way more listens than I thought it would. So thank you to everybody who checked that out. And I just want to shout it out, point it out. It was something different than you'd be used to if you listen to the show. Adam has a great voice. He asked very interesting questions. And we just had a long conversation about collecting games and hacking and modding consoles. So if you're interested in that aspect of things, please check that out. And thank you to all the people who did. So let's roll it into the question of the month. Now, Rich, this is a very deep question. So our game of the month was Among Us, which is the mobile hit craze multiplayer game of 2020. The question is, what is the best lie you've ever told? Oh my goodness, what a serious question. We didn't have a whole lot of responses on this question. I think we have a lot of people that are pleading the fifth on this one. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine <laughs> so. Uh, let's say, for example, Dedge13 says, I don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best lie he's ever told. <laughs> All right. So our friend Bill... Wild Bill 52, he says, my favorite film is Blade Runner. The day the sequel came out, my wife was flying to see her family and she asked me to wait for her to go see it. I told her I would wait for her. After dropping her off at the airport, I went immediately to the theater to watch Blade Runner 2049. Then when she got back, she asked if I wanted to go see it with her. Yes, of course. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually in the midst of this lie. Oh, really? You played a yeah, part. Yeah, We were up in Connecticut, and he had sent his wife, I think, to Disney World with the kids while uh, Retro World Expo was going on. And Bill can confirm if this is the truth of the story or not, but we were all there hanging out with Bill, and he told us about going to see Blade Runner without her, and then we got the follow-up, of course, about a uh, week later or so. So, yeah, I do remember this clearly. Nice. Lastly, we have Kelsey Polnick, our good friend, Crabmaster2000. The best lie he ever told was, I'm incredibly honored to have been invited as a guest on the Playcast. Okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll give my answer on this, Rich. I was really conflicted on how to answer this question because I tried to think like best lie is a very interesting phrasing. I try very hard to be an honest person and most people I hope do. But when I was younger and I realized that I needed to move out of my house, did not have a very good relationship with my family and I had to do everything to get out of my parents' house in secret. And it took a lot of secret work with my friends to put my affairs in order, so to speak. So 
I rented a, a room in a person's house to live in. I bought a car. I transferred a savings that was in my name to a separate account so my family couldn't access it. And then we went on a family vacation. And while we were on the vacation, my friends went to the house and moved all my stuff from my parents' house to this room I had rented. Wow. So when we came home, I told my parents, I'm moving out and I don't live here anymore. And my friends were actually waiting for me. And this was in the days before cell phones. My friends actually waited for me at my parents' house for like hours because we were kind of delayed in driving back from this very long road trip. So that is not just like a lie. It's like a massive, like a huge, like months (laughs) in the, in the making that it was like one of the biggest things I've ever done in my life. Couldn't have done it without the friends who helped me and everything else. And I'll just tell you a little funny anecdote about it is that my parents, of course, were shocked and they called the police And the police detective was actually a father of one of my friends at school. So he got in touch with me and he was like, dude, what did you do? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, I moved out. I gave my friends the key. They were legally allowed to be there. I let them in. And he was like, okay, well, you know, don't worry about it. So you can do it. Yep. So, yeah, that was the biggest and for me, the best lie I ever told. Awesome, man. All right, Stuart, do you want to incriminate yourself next? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wish I could, but not saying that I don't lie. I'm just a really bad liar. So either it's something that's super insignificant or people just call me on my bullshit like instantly. (laughs) So unfortunately, I really had nothing to share on that. And because of that, I try not to lie at all. I mean, I couldn't even keep my engagement ring that I got from my fiance a secret. Like, I caved on that so i mean i'm yeah i'm just a terrible liar that's really it's probably funny. a good thing that you're a terrible liar i guess i mean i can't really keep secrets though if that's a problem yeah don't tell Stuart anything you don't want repeated exactly because <laughs> i will repeat it i will cave <laughs> you're gonna give away all of our trade secrets of the show no i won't i had to really think about this one too because growing up until my senior year of high school, I was sort of a goody-goody, straight-A kind of kid. But when I was in 10th grade, during the junior-senior prom, of course, I was a sophomore. I couldn't go to the prom unless I was invited by you know someone in a grade higher than myself. Well, I had some friends that were in higher grades than I, but of course, I had no interest in going to the prom, and they probably had no interest in me going with them to the prom. But I was really pissed that everyone got to leave school early that was a junior or a senior to go like get their hair done, wash their car, whatever, and the administration turned a blind eye to it while we had to stay in class all day. So I was like, fuck this, you know? So my friend and I, forge our parents' names on these notes saying that we were allowed to leave early, that we were going to the prom. And I remember the assistant principal, we gave him the note, asked who we were going with, and we gave him the names of these two girls who were in on it with us, who were actually going to the prom, but were going stag. I don't know why we thought we could get away with this, but we did. So we just (laughs) basically left. We rode around all day, and I think I had left my car at my friend's house And 
he pulls up, goes in and everything, and I drive back to my house, and my mom's standing in the driveway with her arms crossed. I'm like, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> and she's like, where have you been? And I'd probably told a few lies or something, you know? And then she finally was like, we know you skipped school and forged our names and stuff. And I was like, oh, well, what's going to happen? So I actually got suspended from school for a day. Like, what a punishment that was, right? <laughs> to, like, make me stay out of school. That was stupid. Uh, <laughs> I mean, give me, you know, after school Saturday detention or something like that. It was ignorant. So I had to stay out. My parents were, quote, really disappointed in me, but they actually thought it was pretty funny. I had to stay with my grandfather. He worked on cars and fixed up cars. And as my punishment, I had to wash all of his cars and stuff, which he paid me 10 bucks a car. So I ended up making money that day <laughs> you know, while I was suspended from school. So, uh, yeah, that's the biggest lie that I've ever told. That was good, man. That was a good question. Yep. I had to dig deep on that one. So the driver of that question is that we played the indie mobile smash hit sensation among us as our game of the month. Now we got a lot to get to as far as our top five games of the year, but we always do talk about our December games. So let's talk a little bit about among us. I'll give you the participants and I'll kick it to rich for some development details. So it was me rich with his daughter and son. We had Bickman 2k, his family got involved Merry-Go-Round Gaming, Metal Fro, Wild Bill 52, Dougley 007 and his wife, Crabmaster 2000 and his son, Duke Togo, The Gru. Stuart, I know you, you weren't able to join. Were you able to join any of our sessions? I was not. Um, okay. I actually was going to play one night and then my laptop just died on me. For mm, some welcome to the club. struggling the whole time. <laughs> and by the time I got it fixed, it was like midnight and I just went this and went to bed <laughs> yeah 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 we wouldn't have been on past midnight we usually played about an hour maybe three days a week uh, okay then yeah i definitely missed it then yeah i was nowhere near making that one and i'll just say that crab master and his son those canadians man they're dirty yeah when it comes to playing among <laughs> us dirty man <laughs> all right well let's uh let's get into the nuts and bolts rich all right so among us is an online multiplayer social deduction game developed and published by Innersloth and released in June of 2018. It was brought into popularity by YouTubers and Twitch streamers in 2020, and due to pandemic downtime, it has rocketed into popularity. It's a cross-platform game that was originally released on iOS and Android, and five months later it was released on Windows. This December, during our playthrough, it was released on the Switch, and there are plans for its release on Xbox One and Xbox Series in 2021. Development for Among Us 2 was announced in August of 2020, but due to the game's popularity, the developers scrapped these plans and instead decided to add the updates for the second game into the current one. Among Us was the most downloaded game in 2020 on the iOS App Store, and as of November 2020, it has roughly... 500 million players worldwide. Very impressive. And the dynamic of playing with a group is one of the things that really drew me to this game. You know, we've always had a competition in each December. And so I sort of felt like this year with the pandemic, with everything being complete chaos, that 
competition and going against one another was probably the last thing anybody wanted to do. And so I came up with this idea, well, let's maybe just do Among Us. It's free for the most part. I think PC, you had to pay $5 for it. But it was just a game just to get the community involved and to have a lot of fun. I'll save most of this for my final thoughts, but we had a lot of fun, didn't we, Sean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even (laughs) play. I probably only played like three or four times, but every time I did, I had a complete blast. Well, we're, we're kind of rolling into gameplay here, which is something we will get to. But you actually claimed to me that there is a story to this game, which is amazing. So let's hear it. Story in 60 seconds. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship scaled. Our one-month mission? To explore strange new rooms. To seek out imposters and feed them to space. To boldly kill, invent, unless tasks are done before. <laughs> yeah, that was, That's my best. That was about guys. sixteen seconds, but that was good. <laughs> Worst Captain Kirk ever. No, that was good. I, I appreciate that. All right, so let's roll into gameplay. You know, you got these little guys in spacesuits. Up to ten players can get in a room. And depending on the settings, one of the things that's very interesting about this game is it's very customizable as far as settings go, how many imposters you want there to be, how many people you want in the room. You could do private rooms, which is what we did most of the time. So gameplay involves if you're not an imposter, you have to run around the ship doing tasks, which are little mini games where you open a map screen and you look for a little yellow exclamation point and then go do the task while trying not to get killed by the imposter. If you're playing as the imposter, your objective is to kill as many of the non-imposters as you can until the number of imposters equals the number of non-imposters. Crew members is what they call. You're right. Good. Proper terminology. Crew members can call emergency meetings anytime, or they can call a vote if they find a body. There's a messaging system where you can throw shade at people or you can tell the (laughs) truth. Deflect shade. Right. (laughs) Or deflect shade. One of my favorite things, and I want to say this before I forget, (laughs) this is a really, really, really strange aside, but have either of you read All Quiet on the Western Front? I have not. Okay. So first of all, All Quiet on the Western Front is a classic novel of World War I. I highly recommend it. But one of my favorite lines or references in that book or use of language is the main character is describing someone farting and they say he ventilated his backside. So I say that a lot. Like, excuse me, I just ventilated my backside. And in this game, one of the ways you know someone is an imposter is because only the imposters can use the vents. There's little vents in certain rooms that you can use to almost fast travel or instantaneously travel to another part of the ship. And if somebody sees you do that, they'll go in the chat and say, he vented, red vented. I saw him venting. (laughs) And it always makes me think of that scene in that book where the guy farts. This podcast just went off the rails. (laughs) So let me ask you guys this. 
when I first played the game, it was not with the group. I wanted to test out the game and see what it was like. And I was the imposter like three times in a row. So did you guys prefer to play as a crew member or an imposter? Stuart, which side of the game did you enjoy more? I really liked playing as like an imposter during those situations just because as a crew member, there's nothing more stressful than trying to complete like the card swipe or the Simon Says mm-hmm. task yeah. and just knowing that there's something lurking behind you potentially <laughs> and it's just so stressful. Or worst thing to happen is hell, if you go out first round and you're just stuck there being a ghost all by yourself till other people die. So yeah, imposter all the way. Yeah. I agree. Tasks are just that. They're tasks. They're boring and menial. There's just something fun about being the imposter, uh, pretending to do tasks, trying not to follow people, but to try to work your way in a room and make sure no one else is around, hoping that there's a vent in that room so you can jump in it to transport yourself to another area. So when somebody finds the body, you're nowhere around it, which I fucked up a lot, which was really (laughs) funny uh, with the group. Some of the funniest times we had as a group where somebody was like, especially Adam, dude, I saw you kill him right there. I, you know, you just did it. And you just start laughing. <laughs> but yeah, the imposter is so much fun to play. If I could be the imposter every time I would, but of course the game mechanics wouldn't work if I was. So, so yeah. How about you, Sean? Yeah. I enjoyed being the imposter for the same reasons that you guys are saying. And also I remember asking the group this in one of our sessions, but I, still have never been in a session where all the crew members tasks were sufficiently completed like i don't know what a like a success of the tasks getting completed looks like because i never saw it happen so that was kind of frustrating in a sense yeah and we should say like the way to win the game as a crew member is everyone finish all their tasks or by voting out the imposter or imposters, depending on how many there are, before your your numbers are depleted. Yeah. It's funny. It's a deceptively simple game, but I feel like we could talk about rules and mechanics for hours, and I want to be careful that we don't do that. People should just really (laughs) download this game for free and give it a shot. But yeah, I liked the imposter much more. Yeah. I think one of the gameplay mechanics we should also talk about, whereas the crew members have tasks, imposters can sabotage to prevent people from finishing their task. If an imposter sabotages, it automatically ends your task wherever you're at in it. You have a certain time to fix the sabotage, and if you don't, the imposters can win that way as well. Yeah, so I guess one of the biggest parts of the game, interestingly enough, is the voting screen where it shows the players who are alive. It will denote the ones that are dead and the players that are dead cannot chat for obvious reasons because then you could say he killed me, vote for him. So the chat function in the voting screen is where a lot of the magic of this game comes from. Because like you said, it's throwing shade, it's deflecting shade, it's lying. You know, it's funny, I'd say I try not to lie, but this game is made to lie. And I did it all the time. Oh, it was yellow. I saw him venting. I saw him near the body. It was so good. And you can kind of diss people too. I didn't get too nasty, but people, if I was red and they were like, oh, I saw red do it. And I said, I saw your mother do it, you know, like. (laughs) i was never like super nasty with people but you could drop little disses in there and yeah it was a lot of fun so did you guys get as much joy out of the simple 
voting part of the game as I did? I did. I mean, I'm horrible at typing anyway because I'm on my cell phone and it just seems like I could never get anything out. When a body's discovered, you all automatically go to a voting screen where you talk for a while and then you can vote. And you can also call an emergency meeting, which is once per game per player, which allows you to conduct voting without finding a body. We should definitely mention that part of the game. The best part of it for me, though, was playing as a group. We used the site Discord. And so we didn't type anything. We just talked. And so being able to just say something, not have to type it out, was just a lot quicker and a lot more fun. And you could catch people in lies or snickering. So, (laughs) you know, it was fun to call people out on their BS. For me, that was the magic of the game. The game is not designed for voice chat because there's a certain like masking of communications where you actually have to kind of self-police yourself if you're doing voice chat. If you get killed, your instinct is to go, oh, shit, he got me. But you can't do that because then you don't want to out yourself as being killed. Then it throws the whole game out of whack because then people will know to look for a body or whatever. So you got to be careful when you're on a voice chat with what you say. It added a different layer of thought to the whole thing, which I really enjoyed. And in the same vein, you couldn't be too quiet either. Because if you're too quiet, people know you're up to something. Yeah. One thing I resorted to a lot, it was very easy to realize. I kept saying, oh, some of these tasks are really boring, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Or I'd say, I hate the one with the wires. And then, you know, somebody would just see me venting or killing someone. It's like, no, that didn't work. It's a real problem when that's not a current task and you're talking about a task you don't like. And that's not one of the tasks that the crewmates have that can really give yourself away. Yeah. Or if I'm like in the electrical room and I'm like, oh, I'm doing the navigation task, guys. You know, like (laughs) just totally blowing it, like saying what I'm doing, just saying the wrong thing. It's like you can't even lie well. So I wanted to actually ask Stuart about the controls. And I'll just say on, on mobile, they're not that great. Oh, actually, Rich, you played on PC as well, right? No, I played mobile. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll say there's two control options on mobile. I didn't even try the like touch to move where I'm guessing you just tap and your guy goes over to where you tapped on almost like a point and click adventure game. I use the on screen overlay, which is like a joystick, like typical crappy mobile games. (laughs) But I was curious from Stuart's perspective playing on PC, it must have been much better, right? Oh, it's a lot better. I mean, I've I've played both, or I should say mobile and PC. Okay. And yeah, I didn't like the weird little kind of digital thumbstick they give you on the PC version. Like, I have big hands, and playing on a phone just really isn't ideal. But yeah, on the PC, it was just a lot better. Um, just a lot more easy to control. Awesome. All right. Well, there's one last thing kind of related to the gameplay I wanted to touch on, and that is hacking and griefing. And this I found out about in a very interesting way because, you know, Rich, we played mostly in private groups. And if we would open the group to public, if let's say only four or five people were around to play, but we actually never had any problems or experienced hacking. However, I was on Twitter. I think I followed the official Among Us account and it was on a tweet where they were announcing that the game was coming out on Switch. And I happened to notice someone 
who goes by the notorious ostrich and this is at lazy underscore ostrich really got to give him a shout out because he said i feel the game is dead rubber now hell of a lot of hackers in the game seven out of ten matches you play have hackers so i saw that and i was like oh i didn't realize that and it's funny when you engage with a stranger on Twitter, you have to like word your, <laughs> you have to word yourself very carefully because, you know, this guy doesn't know me. He doesn't know if I'm being a jerk or whatever. So I wanted to ask him, what is he talking about in as smart of a way as possible? So I said, what is your experience with hackers in the game? Like, what are they doing? So he said they kill people in seconds, do fake tasks and make believe it's them by showing the task calling unlimited meetings, dress and pet hacks, roaming during meetings, always the imposter, roaming outside the shuttle, wall hacks, which I guess would be like clipping through walls, and speed hacks. So I thought that was really thorough. And then someone else named Yoshi Henry jumped in at Yoshi Henry 1. He said one had the medbay scan effect around them the whole game and they were wearing Forte Green. I'm not sure exactly what the Forte Green thing means, but I actually just really wanted to shout out both these guys. I was actually DMing with Lazy Ostrich to thank him for the information. So I wanted to shout both those guys out, say thanks for the information. This is something that fortunately I didn't really experience at all in playing the game. Even when I was on public matches, I had more of a problem like getting into matches and getting kicked off of them and dropped off of matches. So I think I have more technical issues on that side. But yeah, just wanted to touch on the hacking stuff because it was brought up by some kind strangers on the internet who explained it to me. This may be a stupid question, but why would you hack this game? There's no monetary reward or any type of reward for winning in this. Why would you take all the fun out of the game, which the game is devised to create by doing something like that? I just don't understand the motivation behind that. Yeah. Stuart, why did you hack the game? I don't know. I think it's like anything, Rich. You know, Call of Duty is very fun to play by the normal rules, but people hack it so they can like auto-aim and aim bot and all that stuff, and it just sucks when that happens, you know? Yeah. So let's roll into graphics and sound. Correct me if I'm wrong, there's no music in this game, but there are some cool, like, sci-fi-ish sound effects. I mean, you're on spaceship, so there's cool beeps and bops and sound effects as you're doing your tasks. And there's also these cool little vignettes of when you get killed, uh, some involving guns and knives and stuff. So th- there are some cool action sound effects, but I think there's very little, if any, music in the game. Yeah, I think there might be some on the main menu. Okay. Um, you know, when you're going into the game, but it's mainly just sound effects as well, I would say. But uh, like you said, it's just a lot of beeps and bloops and things like that. Uh, they're mainly through completing tasks. You know, you like you get a noise for a scan or a garbage dump or something like that, or you know, shooting asteroids. So I, I thought these sound effects are really, really incredible in this game. They did a great job with it. 
Yeah, and how about the environment? One interesting thing about this game is there's three spaceships, and I only ever played on the first one. I, n- I never played the other two, so <laughs> no, I think I never he- did either. Oh, okay. So, Rich, did you or the group travel in the other spaceships? We didn't. You know, you you have to learn the rooms anyway. I mean, when I started playing this game, it was like, where did you find the body? I'm like, hell, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what the names of these rooms are. So, you know, within a month, I think we were all able to figure out the names of the rooms. So moving on to another environment would have just been further confusing. So we decided just to stay on the spaceship, which is called the Scaled. And then there is a Myra HQ, which is like a headquarters, Polis, which is like a planet base. And then in 2021, there's a fourth map coming out called the Airship. Yeah, it should be interesting. But like I said, since our group was mainly newcomers to the game, except for all our kids. Yeah. You know, I I thought it was best for us just to stay in that one environment, and it it worked out really well. Awesome. Well, Stuart, before we kick it into final thoughts, do you have anything about graphics and sound that you picked up on? I really enjoyed that there was, like, no music while you were playing the game. It really was just, yes, the sound effects from doing your task, but there was also kind of almost like a white noise-ish type deal, like the hum of the engine that you just constantly heard, or your footsteps as you walked across the metal floors, and it really just kind of added to that element of, like, suspense, you know, as a crewmate, just thinking, like, it's so quiet, what is gonna happen? And God forbid, you know, the electricity cuts out and you're in the dark with nothing and it's just horrible. (laughs) Yeah, very good point. Because it's like throwing to like alien or like classic sci-fi stuff like space is supposed to be cold and empty and quiet. So very good point. Yeah, it reminded me also a little bit of the original Metroid. You know how that oh, game yeah. is like the the isolation and is it's like na 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 na. I wouldn't really call that music. It's sound effects that are just looped over and over again, and it is kind of creepy and isolating, which is what I think Among Us really wants to convey. So yeah, it, it's very appropriate. All right, well let's roll into final thoughts. I just want to say this was a really cool experience. I enjoyed the game a lot, but what made it very special was playing with the group. And I wish I had gotten in on more sessions than I did. They were just a little bit, everybody's schedule is a little bit later than mine. And that's totally my choice. I go to bed very early, so not complaining at all. It's just that I made fewer sessions than I would have rather made. However, the ones I was on were an absolute blast. I love playing with you guys as children, especially. That was just so much fun, especially Rich, your daughter was just like, she was just so funny. And, you know, the sass that you get from kids is just so adorable in a situation like this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So it's, you know, it's something that I'll never forget. And I think this game... You know, to a lot of people, it's this game of 2020. It was a big, big, huge cultural landmark. A lot of celebrities were playing it, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez played it, and it was a big deal. And there's all these people like that guy Ghost, who's like this mysterious internet figure, and he was playing it. And just, what a fun cultural thing. Probably the biggest thing of that kind since Pokemon Go, which we 
did a full episode on Pokemon Go years ago, and I feel like Among Us is kind of in that vein. So as far as the game itself, I would recommend it, especially considering it's free on the phone, at least at the time of this recording. It costs money on the Switch and PC, as we mentioned, but you got nothing to lose if you want to give it a shot on your phone. And I would say don't be intimidated. Just jump in, give it a shot. You'll figure out what to do. There are YouTube tutorial videos out there, but I mean, I'd say just give it a shot and jump in. It's a lot of fun and worth checking out, especially if it's free on mobile. So that's my final thoughts. Let's go to Rich and we'll let Stuart close us out on this segment. Yeah, I'm just going to echo what Sean said. I think the best part of this game was playing with our friends, being on Discord, playing with our friends' kids, which were very funny. Kind of funny to see the age difference and how we, um, especially I, embarrassed my kids um, by playing this game, you know, the old man playing. But usually with modern games like this, and especially phone games, I'm guilty of thumbing my nose at stuff like this and saying, eh, whatever. I don't think that's going to be fun. And, you know, I don't understand why all these kids are playing this. It can't be that good. And it's not a game that I'm going to keep playing on my phone. But at the same time, I'm really, really glad that we picked this for the podcast because of everything that's been going on with the pandemic This is sort of a landmark thing as far as video gaming. The popularity of this game in this year and how people during this age are really focused on their phones, I feel like this game helped a lot of people come together and because they were in isolation, helped them become part of the community and give them something to do. So I think that picking this game especially was a great choice for that reason. And it's just sort of a landmark event in time that we were able to capture while it was going on. So I'm really glad we played it and really happy that we had so many friends from the site to play this game. There was one night where we actually had all 10 spots filled up and everyone was on Discord. And that was just such a blast. It was a cool month for sure. Awesome. Stuart, how about you? Some final thoughts on Among Us. Well, since I was unfortunately able to play with you all on the site, I missed out on all those experiences. But uh, luckily, Among Us is something that me and my coworkers play in like lieu of doing like a happy hour, actually, which was <laughs> kind of fun. So we had like a chat room, communications things going on while we played. And it, it really does just attest to what this game does. It, it was a way to bring us together while we're all working from home and really kind of makes you wonder about your coworkers too, because some of those are some shifty people. (laughs) But yeah, it really was just a great experience.
Okay, so like we do every year, we're going to get into our best of the year where we pick our favorite games. And though 2020 was a rough year and probably sucked to a lot of people, as far as the games that we picked and played, I would say it was a pretty good year, Sean. Yeah, I agree. It was pretty decent. And I could just run down the list really quick so our listeners get a good recap of everything we played this year. So in January, we started with Star Fox and Star Fox 64. And I remember that Star Fox 2 was not originally on the menu, but I kind of twisted your arm and made you play it. And, you might uh, have sent me something in the mail, I remember, yes. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> in February, we did South Park, The Stick of Truth. In March, it was Fable 2. In April, it was Control. May was Darksiders Genesis. June was Cannon Spike. July was Earthbound. August, we did a pair of rhythm games on the Nintendo DS with Elite Beat Agents and Rhythm Heaven. September was the original Gears of War. October was Fatal Frame 2. Our previous episode was November, Bioshock 2. And of course, in December, we played Among Us, as we just discussed. So those are the games that we played throughout the year. And as usual, we're going to go through a top five list for each person and some other superlatives that we've come up with. So I'm excited about this. I've mentioned in the past that this year kind of skewed towards modern gaming, which is more in my wheelhouse. Played a lot of games that I've played before, but I've definitely discovered some new favorites this year. Absolutely. And hopefully this year's list will not be like last year's. I think you and I had the same first three or four picks. (laughs) Yeah, we shall see. I'm not sure because my list was not easy to make. I'll be honest with you and I'll I'll explain as, as we go on. But yeah. Yeah, there will be some notable snubs on my list that I think will surprise a lot of people. Oh, very interesting. All right, so I did a random number generator and came up with who was going to pick first, second, and third. So we're going to start off with Sean. We're going to move over to Stuart, and then I will be last. We're not going to do that snake thing that we've done in the past because that's very confusing. We'll just stay in the same order throughout. So uh, we're going to start with Sean. Sean, what is your number five game of 2020? All right, I'm kicking it off with the game we just talked about. Among Us is my number five. It just deserves a place on my list because of the experience I had with it. As I just said in my final thoughts, It was an amazing experience to be in the zeitgeist of something that's so in the popular culture. It's rare that I do that. And to experience it with some of my closest internet friends made it just a great experience. Now, as a game, is it the best game in the world? No, I don't think so. But, you know, the social aspect of it, the time and place that it's in, I had to put it on my list. So it went in at number five. Nice. All right, Stuart, what is your number five pick? My number five pick is a game that I didn't think I was actually going to enjoy. I'm not big on survival horror as a whole. It's weird because I like horror movies, but I just cannot play horror games. I cannot get through them. But um, I really enjoyed Fatal Frame 2, surprisingly. Honestly, the atmospheres and all that in the game was just so creepy and desolate and just kind of empty and lonely for a lot of the parts. And I really enjoyed picking up a lot of the uh, the diaries throughout the game, just learning more about like the history of what was going on in that village. But uh, yeah, Halo Frame 2 was in my number five spot. Very good. All right, for my number five pick, 
a lot like Stuart, this was a game I didn't really think I was going to like that much. I didn't play the first game, and I'm always apprehensive about starting out with the sequel, but I really enjoyed my time with Fable 2. That game didn't have the gigantic in-balls that I was expecting, and that was a little bit disappointing, but I really loved the flow of the game, the travel, the additional collectibles and quests that you could do. I really loved how you could make your own player, and if anybody remembers, I had this hawking lesbian that had a <laughs> prostitute for a wife. I just had so much fun with that game, role-playing, and um, very much a surprise to me, and so that's why it's at my number five. Sean, what's your number four? So my number four, I was conflicted about putting this on this list, but after much reflection... I decided to put Fatal Frame 2 as my number four, which may surprise people who listen to the show. I had some major, major frustrations with this game. But after the pain of those frustrations have worn off a few weeks or months after playing the game, I'm left with memories, much like Stuart described, of just the dark, desolate kind of creepy atmosphere of the entire game. And I have more good memories of the game than I do the bad memories. Now I'll never forget running down that corridor to the final boss six or seven times as I (laughs) kept dying and there was no checkpoint at the end where there should have been and things like that. But I just like the whole aesthetic of the game. It's very Japanese. You play as two girls. A lot of the game is definitely in my wheelhouse. So I decided to put it on my list as number four. Excellent. All right, Stuart, you're number four. My number four pick, and while it's not my favorite game in the series, uh, is Bioshock 2. It comes in third on my Bioshock rank, but there's just something so great about being able to run around Rapture as a big daddy, killing people with your drill and just all the creepy, nasty things that lurk below. And again, y'all touched on this early, but the video diaries are just also a great thing, too. Just building up on that lore just really kind of paints a picture of what has been going on in Rapture and the current state at which it's in. And it's just a beautiful game, especially for being on the Xbox 360. Beautiful, beautiful game. All right. Nice pick. My number four pick is South Park's The Stick of Truth. I just thought this was an awesome game. I remember being a junior in college, and I remember when South Park first came out. Much like the show The Simpsons, which I was obsessed with at the time, there's just some great lovable characters throughout the entire community, and being able to interact with all these characters in a video game was just so much fun. I love the fact that they chose to do a role-playing game with this. I know that there were a lot of South Park games that really failed to hit the mark that were released earlier. So I thought that breathing new life into this series in terms of being a video game was really well done. It was obscene, just like you would think a South Park game was, where you're fighting fetuses and other stuff, which is just wacky as hell. Yeah, I really, really love this game, and at some point I would really love to play The Fractured Butthole as a playthrough. So that's my number four. Well, I'll take this opportunity to just keep talking about South Park, The Stick of Truth, because that's my number three. I would just echo what you said. I thought 
I, I wasn't even a big South Park fan, but I became one because of this game. I yeah. didn't make it through the whole series yet, but I watched the... I liked this game so much, it prompted me to watch the first 13 seasons of South Park <laughs> in the span of a couple months. Like, I was really binging the hell out of that show, so... I even bought myself a South Park t-shirt. It really made a fan out of me. So uh, I loved that game and I love all Obsidian's games. They still have yet to miss with me. And uh, that's a really enjoyable title. So I agree. We should play the sequel as a playthrough coming soon. So cool. Segue into my number three. Stuart, how about you? Number three. Speaking of binging, my number three pick, I had the great idea to play every single game in the series, less the tactical game, but my number three pick is Gears of War. Nice. Nice. Gears of War is one of those games I played a long time ago on the 360, like basically when it first came out, and I actually forgot how good it was, and just how interesting the environments were, and really just kind of like the lore behind it as well. I hate to keep talking about the lore, but there really is a lot going on in that. And it really just sparked me to keep going back and playing all those games again. And it's just like the way it's set up is there's so many callbacks to other games. You can still be learning new things all the way up in Gears of War 5 that were touched upon like in Gears 1, Gears 2. It just keeps expounding on it. It keeps building on it. But I mean, I don't know if I'll ever play them all again. Maybe if we play 2 in the future, I will play. Just not the entire series, but... It's definitely worth it if you've never played them all to definitely go through and play them all. Even Judgment, while it's a little bit different, it's more arcade style, but it's still really, really good and kind of gives you a background of uh, some of the you know, minor characters in the series. Excellent. It's funny. Um, I just gave my neighbor a copy of Gears 2. He said he had listened to our podcast. He said it was so interesting that it made him really want to play Gears of War. And when I handed him 2, he said... Well, should I play Gears of War first so that I'll be able to carry on with the story? And it sounds like he probably needs to play the first game before he plays the second one. For the most part. I mean, 2 actually builds off a lot of what happens in 1 just because you don't really know. I mean, the beginning of the game, you start off in jail and you have no idea why you're there. Yeah. And it really just kind of builds off of that. But yeah, I would definitely recommend playing the first one first just because you won't be entirely lost, but it'll just mean a whole lot more starting from one and then going through it all instead of just starting at two. Excellent advice. He is a avid listener to the show, so I'm sure he will pick up on that. All right. Uh, so for my number three pick, I have to echo Stuart and that I am a big horror film fan, but when it comes to horror games, uh, I don't play a whole lot of them and just not a huge fan. But for some reason, Fatal Frame 2, as bad as the mechanics were at times, and as slow as the gameplay tended to be, this game has just really stuck with me as a game I really enjoyed. And so that's why it's number three on my list. I really thought that the environment of this game was so well constructed. It is a tiny village, but even in that small area they were able to make a big game out of it, and I think the developers did such a fantastic job. I haven't played Fatal Frame 1. I'm interested in doing that, although, again, I hear the mechanics aren't the best, but, you know, for some reason, this game just continues to stick with me. I think about it all the time, and uh, that's why it made number three on my list. Excellent. All right, Sean, what do you have for number two? 
So my number two game is Darksiders Genesis. I have to say in full disclosure, a part of the reason I like this game and place it so highly on my list is because my close friend Frank was the head writer on the game and he came on our show, was very generous with his time and we learned a lot about video game development that day, specifically of this game and how it was made. And I like Diablo-style games. I'm not a huge Darksiders fan. I've, this is the first Darksiders game I've played, and it's kind of a spinoff. Like, it's a prequel spinoff. But, you know, because it was made by my friend and I have it on the Switch, I was able to grab a physical copy, which he later on autographed for me. So that's something I will cherish forever. Yeah, I can't say it's like my favorite game that I've ever played, but I did enjoy it a lot and it's a, a really good memory that I'll have forever of playing the game and having Frank on the show. So Darksiders Genesis is my number two. Stuart, how about you? My number two is also another series that I decided to just kind of binge and play through them all. Luckily, it wasn't <laughs> as many as the Gears of War series, but uh, my number two is Fable 2. Awesome. Nice. I don't know why, but the Fable series as a whole is just something that's really just kind of stuck with me. Like, I can honestly go back and play those games over and over again. I already had the feeling to go play one again, and I played it, what, a few months ago. <laughs> but um, I really do love Fable 2 as well. And yeah, Rich did kind of talk about the disappointing ending. The whole thing is just a kind of redemption story, you know, kind of trying to get your revenge on this man who essentially killed your sister, the only family you have, and to kind of have it summed up to where he either dies by your hand because you get tired of hearing him talk, or dying by probably one of my favorite characters in any kind of series, Reaver, who just gets annoyed because he was afraid he would never shut up. But... Fable 2 really just, it's another one of those games you need to play if you haven't played it. And you don't necessarily have to start with the first one, but again, it's always nice to start with the first one. Excellent. Rich, how about your number two? We did not play a lot of retro games this year, as Sean mentioned, but my number two is Earthbound. This is a game that I had played through and probably made it about halfway through before. But one of the best things about this game was having Adam on the show and having Adam in the forums because he's such a super fan. It's a fun RPG that was little known about during its time, but you know it blew up later and um, has some great characters. My only knock on the game would probably be the final boss battle. It's a significant uptick in difficulty and... Not to spoil anything, but there's a certain command that you have to do on that final boss, which isn't really obvious at first, so that was a little bit of ding on it. But I think the game is awesome. It's a cool RPG. It's very lovable. The humor in it is really good. And also some allusions to popular groups like the Blues Brothers or other things like that. But yeah, it's a fun game. Even for the price point, I think it's a game that's worth adding to your collection and owning. And that's why it's my pick at number two. Very cool. So we are down to the nitty gritty, our number one choices. This is very exciting. So I got to make a confession here. My list could have been very different because... Not only was this year, the selection of titles was skewed towards modern, but it was skewed towards some of my favorite games of all time. 
this year was kind of skewed towards me and my taste. Best. Yeah, that's just how it, <laughs> how it played out. Like, I don't think I strong-armed any of our months to get games done, except no. maybe Darksiders, oh. but that was for a very special reason. So I was in a spot where I could have said, like, my list is Star Fox, Fable 2, Bioshock 2, Gears of War, because those are all games that I just love, and I know I love, and I knew I loved them going into these playthroughs. But my list would be kind of weird if I did that, because it wasn't the playthroughs that made them special or whatever. I don't know what I'm trying to say. So my number one pick could have been any of those games I just mentioned, in a sense, and I just want to shout them out and say they're some of my favorite games of all time. But I settled on, after thinking about it, Gears of War is my number one. And I made this decision because I wasn't surprised per se by how well it held up, but I was just very pleased playing through it again after many years. I really loved the whole series, but I hadn't played the first one in a long time. It was just such a great experience that I have played the remastered version and then I went back and kind of tinkered with the original Xbox 360 version because I had such a good time. So as far as games that I've played before and going back to them, I just feel like that this was like the freshest like re-up of going through a game again. And that's why I'm choosing Gears of War. Another reason, real quick, Rich, is just that like I like when you play modern games and Xbox 360 games and kind of come out of your comfort zone with me. And the fact that you enjoyed the game so much was very gratifying to me. Plus, we had that little audio snippet from my old friend Ralph on our podcast episode. And I think if you haven't caught that, you should go listen to it. It was very, very powerful and moving. So yeah, I mean, Gears of War was just one of the best experiences I've had this year in the playthrough. So that's going to be my number one for the year. Excellent, man. All right, Stuart. Number one choice, best playthrough of the year to you. My number one choice and had we not played this title, it probably would have fell to Fable 2 just on pure nostalgia alone. But I just loved South Park, The Stick of Truth. Awesome. As a fan of the you know the, the cartoon, it literally just clicked so many boxes for me. There were just so many throwbacks and references to past episodes. It made me want to explore the world more just to see like some subtle little Easter egg. But that's a callback to one thing they said in one episode like 10 years ago. It was just a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed the RPG elements. I think it really kind of made the game more enjoyable that way, just because you could choose, you know, those three or four different classes, you know, and really kind of upgrade your character some. And I will say, if you haven't played it yet, too, I did play the sequel, or I should say, yeah, actually it is a direct sequel, but uh, Fractured by Hell was also really, really good. Not as good as the Stick of Truth, but it's definitely worth a playthrough. Excellent. Good info. All right, I will go ahead and get into my number one. This was a bit of a tough choice for me. There were a lot of games that we played this year that were very, very strong contenders, and it was really hard to leave games out. I I think what I liked about this game so much were the environments and the combat. I really loved the sci-fi setting of this game, and I felt like this game made me, quote-unquote, get good at third-person shooters. There are a lot of times when I would go up against bosses and I would fail, but I would regain my composure. I would figure out new tactics and new things to do. 
upgrade new weapons and use different strategies. And that game was Control. And I know it wasn't high on a lot of people's list, and I know it probably wasn't as high on mine when I played it. But I think, much like Fatal Frame 2, having some separation from that game and really having some time to think about the story of the game, it just really stuck with me. That was a tough game for me to finish, but in finishing that game, it made me appreciate it a lot more and become a better gamer. There's a lot of things I love about that game, and uh, that's why it made it as my number one pick for the year. Probably surprising to a lot of people. Yeah, that's actually a shock to me that you chose that as your number one. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, I think I can use this as a segue into some of our superlative questions, which is the first one is what is your most disappointing game? And mine was Control, and it still is. I'm not changing my opinion on that game. I That game pissed me off so much. And especially being a fan of Remedy, it was extremely disappointing in the sense that I absolutely love all of Remedy's games up to this point. And this one, I just really got very little enjoyment out of it. I think it had the potential to be something perfect for me, like all the trappings of the sci-fi powers, female protagonists, the... X-Files-ish, Twin Peaks-ish kind of plot and everything else. And just the gameplay was so frustrating that it was a massive, massive crushing disappointment. <laughs> so uh, that's that's mine. Uh, Stuart, what was your most disappointing game of the year? I really hate the shit over your number one, Rich, but yeah, I also <laughs> found Control to be my most disappointing game for a lot of the same reasons as Sean. I just got to a point with it in it where I was just like, I didn't know where to go. And yeah. it was getting to the point where I was the map system just wasn't working for me and I kept running into these enemies that would just blow me away no matter how many times I tried, you know, to get past them. And while I do plan on revisiting it at some point, I don't know when that will be. But for now, yeah, it's just my most disappointing. But hopefully I'll get back to it eventually. I might have to restart because I remember nothing about that game. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, Rich, I know your most disappointing game isn't Control, so what do you got? (laughs) Well, I'll just start off by saying that your guys' history with Remedy games probably has a lot to do with the way you feel about Control, and and I get that. And possibly had I played some Remedy games before this one, I would probably or most likely feel the same way as far as being disappointed. So I get that. But the most disappointing game or games... For me, this year were the Rhythm Games, Rhythm Heaven and Elite Beat Agents. I thought this was something that I would actually enjoy because I'm such a fan of Parappa the Rapper. I love Guitar Hero, and I thought, okay, this is kind of the perfect setup for me. It's Rhythm Games, it's on the DS, I can travel with it, it's going to be fun to use the stylus and play these games. But man, I hated these games. It was just so frustrating, so annoying. I didn't feel like the touchscreen mechanic was very accurate at times, but the only thing that wasn't disappointing about these two games and also the game that they came out with on the Wii was that they sold for a very high price when I took it. <laughs> so I was able to get some good games out of those. All right, let's move into most surprising as our next superlative. Sean, what was the most surprising game to you? 
usually we take this as a like it was surprisingly good. I'm yeah. gonna give you a, a one that was good and then one that I was surprised I didn't like, but not super disappointing. It didn't really quite fit that question. So I'm taking a twofer and double dipping on this one. I was actually surprised how much I liked Cannon Spike. Okay. So this is a Dreamcast arcade type of title, which, yeah, I like those kinds of games, but this is some weird Capcom shooter with different crossover characters, and I didn't really know what to expect. And the game's not perfect. It really ought to be a twin-stick shooter, but the Dreamcast only has one analog stick, so there's some control challenges there. However, I liked the game so much that I beat it multiple times. And yes, the game is very short and designed to be beaten multiple times. But, you know, sometimes I could take that as an opportunity to take a month off, like, you know, semi off by just playing the game once and be like, okay, I have enough to do a podcast on. But I played that game like three or four times with different characters and really, really enjoyed it. So that was a big surprise. And then unfortunately, I was surprised how much I didn't like Earthbound. I really thought this game would be a good one for me because I love RPGs. I love quirkiness. I love cute stuff. You know, this game has a huge reputation for being well beloved. It's a massive collector's item. There's a lot of mystique to this game for many, many different reasons. And I was really ready to dive in. Not so much that I was disappointed in it. I was actually just surprised at how much I didn't like it. So those are my two surprises. Stuart, how about you? I just have one, and it was good surprise. Um, my biggest surprise was probably Among Us. Because before I started playing with my coworkers, it was something you know you obviously always heard of because there were just so many people playing it. You know, so many streamers, YouTubers, and celebrities that we've touched on, but... I just never thought it was something that could be that fun for being so simplistic, but it really just is. I mean, the whole mechanics of just essentially you're debating for your life at some point, (laughs) innocent or not. Um, And it can be very frustrating when obviously when you're not because you're like you're letting them get away with this. But I mean, I can't wait to play again with my coworkers. Hope we play some more uh, soon. But yeah, that is definitely my most surprising pick for 2020. Excellent. Awesome. So, Rich, what about you? Yeah, I am going with the most surprising as the game that I thought I was going to love, but didn't love as much as I thought I would. And that game's Bioshock 2. I think it was just a real downer for me in terms of being a sequel to a game that I loved so much. I even heard Stuart mention that Bioshock 2 was number three on his list of favorite Bioshock games. I don't know what it was. I think it was that there just weren't a lot of new additions to the game was one complaint that I had. And then the other complaint was sort of the mobility. Playing as the Big Daddy was probably awesome to a lot of people that were playing the game at that time. But for some reason, I just enjoyed playing as a human character in the first game a lot more. I know that sounds odd and off-putting, but that's just the way I felt about Bioshock 2. I still really want to play Bioshock Infinite because I would really love to close out the series. I still do really love the series a lot. But for me, this was kind of a surprise as being a disappointment this year. Yeah, that's fair. And I think with your thoughts being as they are, you might enjoy Infinite a little more. But I think we shall see. I like that we're already kind of lining up 
we have games on our to-do list with South Park and Bioshock, and maybe we'll play another Fable game, another Fatal Frame at some point. But yeah, let's move into one more. This is kind of the wild card question, and I like this one because you can yeah. shout out any games you want. So what are the best game or i got two i'll be honest i'm double dipping man again. what in the hell is going well, on well i have a special <laughs> reason for that but like so the question is best game you played that was not a playthrough game so it could be anything i beat 41 games in 2020 which is lower than the average but i'm still kind of happy with that i was actually more upset that there were like months that went by that i didn't play or finish any games even the playthrough games like earthbound i didn't finish and things like that so i'll give you two because one of them's co-op so lara croft and the guardian of light i can't speak highly enough of this game if you're looking for cooperative couch split screen games and actually this this one isn't so much split screen you're both on the same screen most of the game sorry i misspoke there but it's just fantastic and it really got the ball rolling on me and my wife playing games together which is something i'm so grateful for we've bonded over games for the first time in years and it's so good to be getting back into that and just some of the moments we had with this game solving puzzles and beating bosses and high-fiving and hugging and kissing each other when we got a you know got through something that was challenging it's just great great times great memories and then a single player game that i want to mention that was not part of the playthrough is a game that i finished but i didn't talk about it in what are you playing which was a plague tale innocence I spoke about how I started this game in a previous episode, and I didn't know quite how I felt about it at the time. I did mention there's a lot of animal cruelty, and I'll stand by that. There's a lot of animal cruelty in this game, so if that is a trigger for you like it is for me, just take that into consideration. The game in general is very harrowing and violent, so just keep that in mind. However, I just love the game. I love the characters and the story. I like the gameplay a lot. It's mostly stealth, but there's some action. There's sniping in a sense that you use a slingshot that you do battle with in combat. So I would highly recommend that people check out this game if they like story-driven, single-player, third-person kind of action games. This is a really good one of those. Yep, I cheated with two, so feel free you guys if you want to, <laughs> to do that as well. So Stuart, what are some of your favorite games that you played that were not part of our playthroughs this year? Well, I was able to beat 42 games last year. Nice. So, uh, yeah, like you months where you just kind of didn't finish anything and just almost like a I don't even know what to call it, but just like an atrophy where you just I just didn't want to play anything. But I do have two that I will talk about. Uh, the first one is um, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Oh, cool. I was a big fan, obviously, of the first one, the original on the PlayStation 1. I was really, really kind of hesitant to play through the remake because I was hearing things that, like, oh, it's not that great, or, you know, they've ruined the story and things like that. It looks like people are starting to see that, you know, better than that, you know, a lot better than people were making out to be. But So that was something I kind of weighed the play for a little while, but I finally went and did that towards the end of the year, and it was just something I really couldn't put down. Like, I just had to get through it. Um... To put this perspective, it's about 25 hours long, and it really just kind of takes place during the whole Midgar sequence, so basically everything from the first reactor all the way to kind of leaving Midgar. But there's definitely some subtle differences, and 
the ending is open enough to where they could continue it to where they can make a completely new story instead of just kind of following the old script. But uh, the game is full of throwbacks to the original game. You know, a lot of those same boss encounters are in there and a lot of those key moments just, you know, brought to life with, you know, better animations and maybe better voice acting because there literally was none in the first game. But that was one of my favorite games that we didn't play in the playthroughs. And the other one was uh, Paper Mario and the Origami King. I haven't really been a fan of the Paper Mario series since the Thousand Year Door, just because it kind of went away from that RPG element of upgrading and stuff, but I feel like they did a really good job with it. They put a lot of love and care into that game, and really kind of sparked me into hoping that they make something new and similar to that, but the whole story can is, you know, just very lighthearted and not overly serious, and it just paints a beautiful picture and kind of like the whole se- sequence of what's going on and as you progress to kind of, you know, save, you know, Mushroom Kingdom. But uh, it was definitely something I also just couldn't put down. Awesome. Cool choices, Rich. What about you? Games you played outside. You can't say Battle Cats. Uh, what? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know that's one of them. Well, that, well, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you got? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that Battle Cats pick. But the... um other game outside of the playthrough that I really enjoyed was actually a game that I saw a preview of while my son was watching YouTube. And I was just like, this is such a cool game. It's in outer space. It's like a planet exploratory game. It looks really cool. And on that little clip, I was trying to desperately find this game and what it was called. I even put a message up on our Slack chat to get people to try to help me find this game. And after several wrong guesses, I finally figured out what it was and immediately went to the store to purchase it. And the game's called Journey to the Savage Planet. I believe I talked about it on one of our other podcasts. It's not the game that I'm typically interested in. This is a first-person perspective game. You're essentially an astronaut who has crash-landed on a planet to collect resources and look at the environment for one of the companies that Earth has sent out to forage and check out other planets and life and the ability to live on these planets as Earth is kind of going under. What's cool about this game, the environments, the enemies are so awesome and well done. It's exceedingly colorful and beautiful. It has great exploration, really fun boss battles. The weapons are cool. The little devices that you get to make your way through the game are amazing. But the best part of the game is the comedy. The the comedy stylings with the FMV video is hilarious. There's these little like fake commercials that they do that will have you like grabbing your side laughing. It's so well done, and I have no idea how this game is still under the radar. It is fantastic, and if you just want an awesome, fun game to play, I suggest picking up Journey to the Savage Planet. You will not be disappointed. Awesome. Well, that's it for our year-end lists. What a great discussion. Great picks by everybody. Very fun. So let's announce our games, and then we'll see Stuart off. So in February, 
how am I the host for the February games? These are NES games. This has nothing to do with me. What's happening here? <laughs> uh, so in February, we are doing another round of NES Capcom Disney games. And I say that because we did something very similar to this in the distant past with different games. But this time around, we're doing DuckTales, Chippendales, Rescue Rangers, and The Little Mermaid all on the NES. So I'm excited for that. Again, I want to delve into more retro games this year. So that will be very exciting. And Rich, how about March? Well, in March, we are actually playing a PlayStation 1 title, so we're keeping it retro. Typically, toward the beginning of the year, Sean, we always play an RPG. This is no exception. And so a few years ago, we came across a title for the PS1 called Vandal Hearts, which was a game that Sean and I really enjoyed, and it actually made my best game of the year that year. And so since then, I've always been looking for this sort of I don't want to call it Hidden Gem because it's a naughty word on our show, but a game that not a lot of people talk about. And so I've heard reviews about this game called Eternal Eyes, which is an RPG that has sort of what, Sean, I think you would call Pokemon elements, right? Yeah, there's like a monster catching element to the game. Yeah. So this is an RPG on the shorter side, but one that I'm hoping is an enjoyable experience. The game isn't going to break your wallet. I think it can be had for under $20, so I definitely hope that we can have a lot of participants this March. Yeah, this is a game I'm kind of excited for because when you suggested it, I was like, oh, that game is only known for having really bad cover art, and (laughs) I just fell into the trap of judging a book by its cover, which if you haven't seen it, people look it up. It is awful. But then I watched a YouTube video about it, and it's like, oh, it's a pretty easy and short RPG with Pokemon elements to it. And I was like, I'm in. Like, I messaged you. I watched one YouTube video of it, and I'm like, yep, let's do this one. So I'm excited to play this game. All right. Well, I want to thank Stuart, Mr. Stubbs, for coming on the show. Man, you've been one of our all-star participants for the past, like, over a year. It's funny, I have this perception like Stubbs is a new guy on the forum, but you've been, I mean, you're here because you played almost every game that we played this year, and you were here before that. So thank you so much for joining us. Now, we only know you on the forum. Is there any place where you would like people to follow you or connect with you besides RFGeneration.com? No, not really. I'm not really much of a social media person, except for like my personal stuff. So no, if you ever need to get a hold of me, the forum is the best spot to do it. Dude, that's the way to be. I wish I could say the same thing. So I'm totally, I'm totally into that. And I uh, hope you just keep doing what you're doing on the forum. You have some really great input and uh, great insights into the games that we're playing. And I, we always appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for not only playing the games we play, but playing every damn game associated with that game. (laughs) It's quite a joy to see someone uh, so into the playthroughs, and uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, enjoyed having you on the show, man. Thank you. Oh,
up another episode thank you as always for listening and a special thanks to our participants and to mr stubbs for joining the show in january we are taking our first ever month off from the show we'll be back in february so be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com for future playthrough titles and we'll see you next time on the playcast Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blamage. I say that a lot. Like, excuse me, I just ventilated my backside. So during the month of December, I was able to play Among Us with my kids and the group from RF Generation, and I've got my daughter here to talk a little bit about the game and why she likes it so much. So what is it that you and your friends like so much about Among Us? I think that my friends and I just like it so much just because it's like a mystery. We always like playing board games and like Clue, so I think it's just really fun to play mystery games. I like being the imposter just because it's fun. I like how you can pick different maps and things like that. 
And you can also pick who you want to play with. Like you can play with your friends or you can just play with random people. Do you prefer to play with your friends? I think it's more fun to play with my friends because we know each other and we can figure out who it is. But it's funny to me because I can like lie and say these different things and then they won't know if I'm telling the truth or not. So before we started playing in December, you didn't know any of the people from RF Generation. So what was it about that group that you enjoyed playing with? I know they didn't know how to play the game before, but it was just fun to get to know them even better each week. I think it was just really fun overall, like playing with them and then the other people that we played too. Do you think this game will be around for a while or was this just a case of the right type of game at the right time? Well, I know that the game has been around for a long time, but it wasn't very popular at the time that it came out. But I feel like it'll be around for a couple more years. I don't know about the long run, but I do still play with some of my other friends. I really liked how I got to know all of you guys and play with you guys multiple times a week. And it was just really fun overall.